0: be that we use AI and recommender systems to produce two sides of the coin. So if you are going to produce like 10 recommendations for, for YouTube clips to watch, that should be um, designed so it it always shows both sides of the coin. If you have a thing like anti-vax, if you have a thing like uh, other things, then... If you design the system to always make sure you have a fifty-fifty or at least um, an objective balance between both sides of whatever topic, then AI and personalization could actually help reduce the filter bubble.
1: But then, would you would you need to put that into regulation, or would you think you? Yeah, w- perhaps. Who, who but, but would who would drive it yeah, in this way? Uh,
0: yeah, Th- that's that's a good question. But but would you agree with that? It, that increased AI, increased like personalization can actually lead to reduction in filter bubble if you design it correctly. I mean, I had that
2: experience with YouTube. I was like hooked on YouTube. Mm. And then what I did is like I, I figured out I'm losing way too much time in this. Mm-hmm. So I did just disabled all the options where they can keep track of my history. Yeah. And then now I, I still see all the all the programs that I, that I like, mm. but I don't get this flawed of recommendations. I mean, the recommendations that I get are terrible. Mm. So I just watch the things that I, I chose
0: but to. Is that watch. the right solution then? I mean, to get terrible recommendations mean you potentially spend less time, which potentially have some other positive side effects, but don't you think you could get good recommendations and still escape the filter bubble. If you were to design it correctly.
3: Yeah, maybe. I I remember there was, like, maybe 10 years ago, there was this service that tried to uh, break the filter bubbles. Mm. uh, Was it prismatic or something? They had as their idea to to give you, like, yes, your own personalized news, but also from the larger circle Mm. of friends and, like, the whole world or something. But... I guess it didn't work so well because they're not around. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I've listened to a number of like YouTube recommender data scientists, and I know they at least had a couple of years ago that in their plans to do provide like um, an objective balance of whatever topic they they speak about. So I, I know, and and diversity. I, I think originally they had like three uh, metrics which they. Rank the recommendations by one is like novelty, you know, the newer, the better. Another is relevance, which is basically how related is is it to whatever you searched for or what your interests are. And thirdly, it's actually diversity. So it should be a set of recommendations that differ from each other. You don't want to get recommended the exact same thing all the time. You want to have a set of diverse recommendations. But I think you could add on top of that also having like... mm, Different views to, to diversity in another way, if you see what I mean. Mm. But if you were to do that, don't you think it's possible to have a more objective recommendations without reducing, uh, like, information that you provide to it, like turning off cookies or trying to reduce the data that they can collect about you, so to speak? Or am I too optimistic here?
2: I would, do, I would propose the opposite. So uh, propose tools to let you protect yourself. So that the companies have no incentives to do this, right? Uh, yes, it, it I would, would argue they do. They, but but the more they recommend it, what you want to see, maybe not what you need to see, but what mm-hmm. you want to see, the more you're going to see it. So, I mean, it's like giving candy to a toddler. I mean, they're always okay, going to... No, well, let, me,
0: let me argue on that <laughs> point, because I think it's a very interesting point. And... and um, You know, some people claim that Facebook, for example, recommends stuff that you get angry with Mm -hmm. over things that you like because you engage more in that and you potentially comment more on that. And potentially, if you were to recommend things that you don't completely agree with, that could actually increase engagement. I think the other, you know, the the true reason is really that tech companies want to have a long-term engagement of users. If people feel that they just get, you know, too hung up with, Listen to the same thing all the time and don't get an objective view, you will basically turn off, which you basically said yourself, mm. you will stop using the service. So the long-term objective would be really bad if the, you know, whatever tech company don't optimize for that. But so I mean, they do have like a gazillion users.
2: So yeah. all of those people... And they've been there for a long time, so all yeah, of those people. Still, are
0: I, I don't think any tech company is optimizing for short-term like engagement. It should be long-term engagement that they are all focused on. But that's I know,
2: what, but that's that, what the the stockholders want. They
0: want like no, short-term gains. No, no. no.
4: No, I don't agree. I, with I, you, I work.
0: I'm, I remember even from the Spotify days. Anyone that optimised for short-term gains, they they would com- be completely mm. out of the game. Like, so no but, way. That so they, that's so we
1: are talking about uh, you know metrics like uh, lifetime value of the customer, and yeah. we're talking about metrics on on how long you stay on, how many hours, or how how long is your period of this, and and and. and customer lifetime value, you could argue is the long game, but the metric around, you know, how much are you binging at any point in time, that that is fairly short, short term, I I think. So, and that's clearly a metric, you know, I I take the example of of LinkedIn, you know, when you, when you post something on on LinkedIn, the algorithm clearly doesn't want you to link to medium or a YouTube clip. They prefer you to link Mm. to something that gets you to stay inside the LinkedIn platform. So, you know, so the algorithms are clearly, you know, favoring things that you stay on the platform. So, ah, uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And, and um, but if we make a
0: hypothesis, assume the tech companies do focus on long-term user experience, not short-term user experience, then they should try to also make people be able to escape the filter bubble. Would you agree with that at least?
1: Uh, it boils down to, uh, maybe what you were onto before. Do we want to, you know, do, do, do people really want to, I, I think I want to, but in general it's quite a comfort zone. <laughs> but what if, what if like,
2: I like what, what YouTube did, that they gave me the control over whether, uh, whether I, uh, how much they can recommend to me. Now I would like to have like a, a dial because mm. I mean, clearly I went, mm. it's binary now. Yeah. But I, I thought
0: like it would be nice binary to, in what way binary? you either on.
2: turn off uh, your information and turn it on. So,
0: oh, oh, you mean in terms of how you know. much personal information yeah. you share with them? And we'll these
2: work. are and these are let's call it good companies, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, from a personal point of view, I would like to have like an AI that watches random YouTube videos all day and listens to random music and random web pages all day, and then the, hopefully the 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 phone won't be able to tell when I'm using the phone or when the AI is using the phone (laughs) and then that way you can't recommend anything. So that that would be the ideal for me so that I can, I can just have a dial, like how much information I want to share with whoever is listening on the other side, Uh but uh, Mm.
1: yeah. But do you think it's going to go in that direction? Would you
0: like to have randomized ads if you, if you're forced to every 10th, whatever kind of clip or song or whatever, would you prefer to have completely randomized ads or something that adds ads that are actually relevant for you i've never clicked on an ad on the internet ever like okay. i
2: want no ads <laughs> 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 why do you think i pay my spotify subscription <laughs> it was
0: just to avoid the freaking ads <laughs> those are horrible yeah do you see a f- future that ads actually could add value to a user experience I know that Google, you know, it's been there, you know, you need to make for. better ads. I
2: yeah. mean, I I, I, but, I looked on the, the, the Super Bowl ads on yeah. every every I don't watch football, but I will download the the Super Bowl ads yeah. uh, on on YouTube just because they're fun. Yeah.
0: Why can't you create fun uh, thing that, you know, makes my life Do you think there is a future for the ad-supported or ad-financed type of services that we all have in use today or should we all switch to subscription services?
3: I'm the same as Alex, I never click, (laughs) click, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of… Would you prefer to have
0: a subscription option in, in Google search?
3: No, not personally. I'm pretty good at ignoring the ads.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit optimistic, I think about, you know, I've been working in the ad business as well at some point far back in the future, but I think there is a time and a possibility that ads actually can add value for you. Um, it's not that good at uh, as organic results, but if they are, have the proper intelligence and purpose, I think actually actually could add value as well.
2: I mean, we're moving more into the influencer ads, so that's so somebody uh, that let's say you trust, right. Mm-hmm. And that knows what they're talking about. So it, it kind of,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I know that half of them are scams and they're paid to mm-hmm. say whatever you pay them to say. But I mean, let's, I, I have fallen uh, victim to buying something that somebody that I listen on a podcast yeah. uh, says like, oh, I tried this shaver and it's very (laughs) nice oh yeah i would like to have a better shaver yeah i'll buy that you know so things like that i think works but there's there's a person that is giving value to the ad it's not just some ad company making up lies so the the thing is that there's no i don't trust anything that ads say because Um, publicity.
0: would you trust something that an ai says to you that this ad may be interesting for you Perhaps you need to buy diapers because uh, your kid is suddenly <laughs> pregnant as the Google <laughs> thing was. <laughs>
1: but um, Alexander Bard, a cyber philosopher in Sweden, mm-hmm. he has been talking a, lo- a, a lot about this and, you know, uh, you know, uh, internet marketing, it doesn't work. It, we, we need to go to internet communication and he, he highlights that, you know, the new metrics, is sort of, you know, you know, attention is a, is a combination of, um, uh, relevance and reach. So what I, what, what his argument is that it's simply too much noise now and and, and that basically no one listens to any messages or take in any messages if it doesn't come from a source that you have a relationship to. So this is, you know, one story of the first generation of this is the influencer. You know, we, we start to understand and get jaded on the influencer recommendation. Now, I think, but I think there's a, there's a point here in this super mega noise, right? And we're going to metaverse now, Uh, you know, how you build brands, how you build relationships in order for, you know, so it's more or less, there's no point for you to scream out, pushing out your message. You need to create pool around your message, you need to, you need to build relationships or connections. You need to have content that is relevant and of value. And then you need to have reach because it's good content, and then they will listen. And then you know, so so what does ads leave you in this type of context? I you know, this is something very different in my opinion. and you know, less push oriented, more how to create pull. And and what is that type of communication? I
2: mean, Tesla never invests in in
1: marketing. They're the most expensive car company in the okay, world. So I think Touche, right? They they, they are all about pull. Yeah, we, we follow we follow Elon Musk and what he's tweet, tweeting about, and you know he got so much, so he doesn't push market in that sense. Yeah, he, he
0: that's a completely different thing because he gets shitload of money for selling each car. So they have a completely different. In a business model no compared but to like uh, Facebook or Google search or whatever so there's two different things
1: no but the, the companies who are now investing in advertising you know in mm. go- Google and Facebook and search how effective is it truly in in five to ten years you know you know what is will people you know you you sit here we don't click we don't mm. really click do we uh, I I I flip it I click when I see something from a brand or from a friend that I trust, you know, something that has meaning and value to me beforehand, I'm inclined to look at if it just comes over me, you know, okay, then maybe the AI story, then I, I'm, I'm in the search for something now. I mean, I'm mean, i in the mood to buy new boots, right? Yeah. So when boots had appeals to me right now, maybe yeah. that's one, I clicked one way. I on that as
0: well. I bought like sh- church and whatnot, you know, on ads. It's, yeah. uh, and it's been sometimes useful for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Should we just circle back you know, to <laughs> what this uh, the discussion started with? And, and that was, I guess, um, the filter bubble of people and anti-vax versus people that do get vaccinated, you know. And, and you spoke about Hong Kong as well. And, and what was that about Hong Kong again, Michael? Uh, that you mentioned
3: Yeah, so basically there is a big surge now in in coronavirus Mm. in Hong Kong. So over here, we've I mean the pandemic is for all practical purposes sort of a bit forgotten. Also, also due to the the war in Ukraine, but pandemic continues. Yeah, in other parts of the world, and Hong Kong has basically been suppressing it successfully for over two years, and now suddenly Omicron has hit really hard and they have, I think the largest um, sort of fastest increase in cases and deaths that anyone has ever had. And almost 5,000 people died in the past weeks, Mm -hmm. like 250 people per day, which is a lot. So that's um, really surprising and, and scary.
0: And you also, Alex, mentioned that uh, you also had some acquaintances that that were still, even though you're a pro-vaccine, you, you had some acquaintances that had anti-vaccine interests or thoughts, right? Not acquaintances. My fa- half of my family. <laughs> I would say. You okay, don't know I how mean, tense the, the, the Christmas was. You know?
2: <laughs>
0: I didn't want to say that. but I'm glad that you said it, but yeah. it's
2: uh yeah it's 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 really hard and and they are they are uh, they are good people, they're intelligent people they mm-hmm. are just as passionate uh and they they believe that these things are are bad and yeah. and why would you give this to to your kids and and now they're in Costa Rica they're forcing people to vaccinate the kids and that's mm-hmm. that really sparked the um the fire in, in in my family right because if you believe that this is, bad for you mm. and the government forces you to do that then you're going to have a problem i would have the same the, the same reaction if i believe that the vaccines were were uh, damaging my 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 kids and then so. here
1: and here we come to the filter bubble so how can we have very super intelligent people thinking so differently pro or anti and we concluded somewhere it's it's very much in the context of the ecosystem and the culture and, and what uh, what is the main message in your ecosystem that is being megaphoned out that probably impacts a lot on how we think in these matters right was that correct oh, come, come again no we, you know we, we you know why how you know we have intelligent people on the one hand side they are pro vaccine and we have intelligent people uh, Against vaccines and why is that? And and I think we concluded somewhere it has a lot to do with your what is the main message in in your eco- ecosystem where you you know it's what, your your, your news diet basically news diet it's yeah. it's yeah, where exactly. you get
2: I mean you get like a certain set of news uh, mm-hmm. I mean that uh, that says that vaccines are like this god given uh, gift that is going that that saves mm-hmm. a lot of people and then on the other side what they hear is this is a uh, 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 poison that is going to, you know, damage your lungs. And I mean, the, the amount of things that, that they have, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I mean, they, they, they believe that you know, and they keep uh, getting the same messages over and over and over again, every day. They keep hearing the same things. Vaccines are bad, vaccines are bad. So why wouldn't you uh, believe that? And the algorithm cuts off all the, the things that are, that are not related to you and it it kind of the solution converges into a more and more and more um a, how do you call it reactionary uh, group of people so you, you reinforce itself oh. and uh there is there is this uh there is this study that they did on how was this that you know uh the this um george was it george orwell that that once uh made this radio show that pretended that the yeah. aliens were coming yeah I think. And, and, uh, like recently some master student went through the trouble of, of figuring out where was their panic and where was there no panic. And I mean, long story short, uh, if you were around a lot of people that were watching the same news, then you actually believed that, but if you were alone, watching the same news, you're not going to believe that. So it comes down that by built in, there's a biological circuit that says if you hear the same thing many, many times, you're going to believe that that is true, mm. right? And uh, but if you hear it from one one person, it doesn't matter if he's an expert. If you just hear it once, so it's not quality, it's quantity. That's how we're built biologically. So I think that that has a lot to do with this. It's, it doesn't matter if you get a Nobel Prize Prize saying like vaccines are good. If you hear uh, some YouTuber say it five thousand times, that's going to be much more weight in your brain than the the, the Nobel Prize winner, and it, that's what it comes down to.
3: Mm. Uh, just a, a comment. I think it was Orson Welles. Orson <laughs> Welles. Yeah, was,
2: yeah. Orson Welles. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
2: The, the War of the Worlds uh, in april's Fool's Day or something like this. Yeah, yeah it was a very interesting. Uh,
0: so any basically reinforced message um, have the power to convince more or less anyone to believe in some topic. Right? Right. What was it that Hitler said,
2: lie, lie, something will stay, right? Uh, I, haven't heard that. Uh, maybe. I, I haven't
1: heard But it, maybe I, I just want to share. I, I saw a, a LinkedIn comment of someone, um, a, a Russian person. So this is uh, in connection to the war who basically was putting out the message in, in that we need to help our friends in Russia by basically you know if we have friends and connections that live somewhere in Russia you need to talk to them now you need to chat with them you need to email them you need to explain and and, and convey the story that you hear Because they are not hearing the same story and they're not understanding the situation in, in at all the same way. If you're a normal Russian person in the street who are sort of getting, you know, one very clear, you know, filter bubble, so to speak. So I think that is also a quite interesting example, right? So if you want to break a filter bubble, you, you, you kind of need to go to, have you got relations, you have trust in some way, and then you need to get messages from completely different places. So I think this topic is quite. Quite um disturbing <laughs> in, in many ways, <laughs> yeah yeah, people are too easily fooled sometimes and I, we, and I think we should be humble that we all yeah. are yeah that we all are yeah, yeah. Anyone, anyone yeah I'm
0: sure awesome, um great to have you here, Mikael Huss and Alex uh, Fernandez, mm-hmm. Mikael, uh, you and me have known each other for a long time, not really sure how long, but it was before the Peltorian days, right it was. Uh, some...
3: Yeah, I mean, I, we, we met at, at some meetups before yeah. that, like maybe Stockholm, big data and, right. and, and your machine learning yeah. meetups. Yeah. So maybe 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. Well,
0: um I I do have a lot of admir- admiration for for you and and you're a person I respect a lot. I know you're, you know, a knowledgeable person in both data science and bioinformatics. Um I don't know you you yet Alex, but I've heard you, you have the same type of background, so very much looking forward to hearing more from from you as well. And I mean, Mikael, you have like the, a number of like nature publications and whatnot. So you know, who couldn't be you know, having a huge respect for your knowledge and your skills? So with that, you know, it's a true pleasure to have you here, both of founders of Codon company. And, uh, yeah, with that, you know, should we start with perhaps you Mikael, if if mm-hmm. you were to just try to describe a bit more about yourself, you know, who, who is Mikael Huss?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the nice intro. Also, have a lot of respect for you, Anders. Um, well, who who am I? Short story or long, <laughs> or long story? <laughs> no, but I guess like I've been I've been interested in, in in sort of AI, machine learning, and biology as well since high school. So I was playing around with like trying to program some genetic algorithms and, um, you know, some primitive neural networks, Mm -hmm. um, at that time, time, uh, five years ago, approximately (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that, that, that was a long time ago, (laughs) uh, but then I'm also quite interested in languages. Mm -hmm. So I had a hard time kind of choosing what I should study. So of course, then I did both. So I studied uh, molecular biotechnology engineering in Uppsala, but then I also studied Chinese, right? So I lived uh, for a while in China and, um, and I got two degrees and, uh, you know, within this molecular biotechnology engineering program, I discovered that, well, number one, I wasn't very good in the lab. <laughs> number two, um, went work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, number two. There was this thing called bioinformatics where you could do mm. biology on computers i was like yay <laughs> <laughs> and um, and also we had a course called uh, pattern recognition which sort of blew me away like wow this is this is interesting so basically what we call i guess machine learning now but but in a in a bit yeah, earlier form
0: it's more data mining type of or was <laughs> it called
3: actually pattern recognition yeah the course was called okay. pattern recognition so mm. it was like things like um, principal component analysis and um, like uh, k-means clustering and yeah, yeah. So, stuff like that <laughs> uh, so then i ended up doing my master's thesis at a company called virtual genetics mm. which was Around so this is like twenty years ago. So um, they were quite early in applying machine learning and uh, uh, NLP. We called it information retrieval. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was that was really fun. We were doing. But yeah. if we
0: just, you know, I think it's nice to just try to have a clear understanding of what different terms mean. So information yeah. retrieval for me. and then please correct me if you disagree is more of the search engine type of use case where you try to map like some kind of query to a set of documents and then you have information extraction and NLP can be so many other things as well. Or or what do you mean with information retrieval? I know like music information retrieval is not really like text information retrieval and it's such such a confusion. I think sometimes with the terminology here.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I I think we were talking about information retrieval in that company because it was partly uh, started by search engine oh, specialists i see and then we had these like textbooks about information retrieval yeah. but they contain things about like uh, tfidf you know yeah, the way yeah. to rank uh, terms and, and search and and we did um, some yeah, we, we had a search engine and mm. then we did like similarity yeah. search, pretty primitive compared to what you can do today, but <laughs> mm. and trying to come up with ways to flag or like find keywords in medical abstracts. So we were analyzing um, medical. Okay. Abstracts so it wasn't genetics
0: in any way, it was truly text at that point as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. And then there was like another arm of the company that made a platform for Uh, machine learning on molecule fragments like predicting what activity they would have and we were using basically uh, ensemble algorithms boosting and I think about
0: ensemble algorithms I guess you know what I think but what do you think (laughs) about that
3: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to
0: lead you here to an answer
3: but still okay I yeah I don't know if I (laughs) <laughs> I ever have thought in those terms. Okay. If I, think, uh, no, skip I, question, yeah. <laughs> I no, but I the uh, question. No, but I use uh, gradient boosting mm-hmm. quite a lot. So I mean that's a good one. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that ensemble, but still, yeah, ah, okay. I see what you mean. <laughs> what is
1: ensemble?
0: Yeah, so in my term, I mean, everyone that wants to win a Kaggle competition basically resort to an ensemble algorithm that combines like ten, fifteen different algorithms together and just take the average of all of them, or some kind of um, pooling of them, and in that way they, they find an incredibly complicated solution to something that actually beats something like the Netflix Netflix Prize, you know, for for ranking as well. That was a super comp- complicated algorithm that was not really Ingenious in the way that they designed it. It's just like a very brute force, huge set of algorithms that together can actually have a really well working performance, but it's impossible to implement and nothing of course of Netflix ever chose to put in production because it, it, it wouldn't work for practical purposes. So, so I, fo- I, I, I upset the ugly way to, to make something work without understanding anything. So
1: f- f- in layman's terms uh getting to brute force by having many different algorithms ensemble as one i don't know combined if object. you don't
0: know how to do it properly then resort to ensemble <laughs> algorithms
2: yeah that can, I, can i object yes. to that i <laughs> like it no let's go let's go let's go So let me call you that isn't your brain an, an ensemble uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm so stupid.
0: So
1: <laughs> <that's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> because
2: I mean the, the neural cortex has going to have a different architecture than the visual cortex that the medulla yeah. well yeah. you know mm-hmm. all those mm-hmm. all those weird words. But yes. I I <laughs> if I remember something from those days, it was that different parts of the brain are, are connected in a very particular mm-hmm. way. And that gives them different abilities. So, yeah. I mean, to me, I think that the brain is, is an ensemble algorithm, not done
0: randomly. Okay. Yeah. I grant you that, but an ensemble. Well, let me just, okay. This is an interesting topic. Perhaps <laughs> we should have a separate topic for this well. <laughs> If we take like, you know, one of the algorithm algorithms I hate, which is DPT3 uh, not because I do love the way they could make that work. Uh, I just dislike what people think about it and think it's actually something mm-hmm. of practical use, but it, it, I think what I do love about it is that it's a super, super simple idea, a single objective of just predicting the next word that seems to emerge into something that can do so many different things. So many different tasks. just by scaling up both the model and the data it's trained on you can do so many things so in that sense i would say it's not an ensemble because it's a single objective that is training everything Whereas an ensemble, and, and that's the same for the human brain then. So the human brain is also having this kind of synapses. And I'm moving into your speciality here. So I'm going out on a limb. But yeah, tread carefully. <laughs> <try it> carefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and love that, this. That's going to be fun. Do you see the point here? That, you know, even though the human brain has so many different, you know, areas in the brain that are good at diff- different things, and, and you can have connections from wherever it can be, the same you could argue for a big neural network. If it's still trained with a single objective that can be routed to ever anything, it's still a very simple and single way to train it. And an ensemble is the opposite, that you have different objectives, different ways to train something um, compared to, to the single objective. You see them, yeah,
2: point? Yeah, but I, th- I see it as, a technicality like the, well, okay you you have a different training training uh, algorithm for different uh, models I but
0: the, the more manual hard coded inductive priors that you add to the mm-hmm. algorithm the worse it is yeah so in that sense the the brain had have some you know genetic priors of course in it but an, an ensemble algorithm have a huge number of priors that you manually put into it and that makes it ugly that is also what like g- makes GPT still beautiful because it's a very simple prior. Just predict the next word that yeah. you train on.
1: But it, but the, the main thing you 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 are getting hooked up now and you you're sort of uh, putting up, a, you know, a rant. To be honest, <laughs> <An> important discussion. <laughs> it's not no, a, it's rant. a rant. It's no. a rant. No. The rant you have right now is that it's it has you know. Mm, limited usefulness in production because you know, but that's a different maintain, topic. But you, I think is, is so, that what the rant is all no, about? No,
0: it's not. I think the, the ensemble versus not ensemble, I think that's the, the, the core question here. And I would argue that the human brain is not that
1: much of an ensemble,
0: but I can see your point. It partly is.
1: But why, why, why do you put the rant up to, oh, I don't like ensembles, you know what I think about ensembles? You because know? It's, <laughs> it's so much
0: manual coding into it, it's, it's not, you know, you don't know what to do, so you put in, you know, 15 different algorithms and then you just take the average of them and then that is not like something that can be as cleanly defined as just predicting the next word it's but,
1: a simple objective and what's the problem with that isn't isn't that that you know to it's not a set, scalable solution exactly so the problem with that is usefulness production maintainability yeah. scalability
3: yeah mm. uh, just to be clear like the Ensemble methods that I mentioned that that triggered this—they are decision tree ensembles. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's it's the same. Then it's the
0: same it's, it's objective. It's the same. So now it's
3: a nice ensemble. It's
1: a semi ensemble. It's a
0: good, good
2: ensemble.
3: Good, good, <laughs> <A> good ensemble. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, and in those days it was bagging and boosting and yeah. then random yeah. forest and then gradient, gradient boosting. Boost. But. Yeah,
0: I I think both Brandon Forrest and Gradient Boosting are beautiful algorithms. (laughs) (laughs) What I don't like is is when you combine, you know, a large number of rule-based versus learned versus like decision trees versus neural network versus genetic algorithms versus whatever. And you just do that and then take the average and you have no clue really how to design it. You just try it out and you don't know what you're doing. Mm. That is more my rant that's your <laughs> rant <laughs> <laughs> let's get out of this hole <laughs> okay anyway getting yeah. back to or yeah would you agree by the way or do you see some problem with the ugly part of, uh, of the yeah formulas? I
3: don't I don't really use those kinds of models either um, yeah no I, I don't <laughs> okay
0: so. Cool. Getting back to, okay, we spoke about uh, virtual genetic, genetics, right? Yeah, what exactly. Was that? And then you had information retrieval. You want to find things from uh, medical mm-hmm. abstract, right? And information yeah. retrieval techniques at that time?
3: Yeah. So that was a nice uh, intro. Mm-hmm. And and then... Uh, Yeah, the IT bubble burst, Mm -hmm. and also I had a colleague there who was a, um, uh, uh, what's it called, like an industrial PhD student. So he was both at Karolinska Institute and at Virtual Genetics, and he was doing such nice and fun projects. So it seemed, oh, doing a PhD seems like a nice thing, so maybe I should... Try to do that now. That this company seems to be going south. <laughs> oh, so that's what the reason you pursued
0: a PhD? That yeah, you could see the IT bubble bursting, and then yeah, you jumped into academia.
3: Yeah. Then I, I, I had have this friend who was uh, who was doing this, and he, he's now a professor at Ki, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, then I did a PhD at uh, KTH, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's also a whole whole story that we don't need to go into because I, I was supposed to do one thing, but then it became something completely different. But, uh, yeah, that completely different thing was, um, to model biological neural networks, not yeah. artificial neural networks, but like actual neural networks in the spinal cord of, uh, lamprey, uh, in Swedish, which is like an eel like vertebrate fish that, um, it's like the type of animal
0: uh, yeah fish
3: yeah it's considered the t ford of locomotion research because (laughs) it's the simplest organism that we have still alive like that still uh, exists exists. uh,
1: from the really original what do you call it in one of uh, the original uh, type um,
0: locomotive yeah. animals <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it's, it's like the most primitive animal that has uh, survived uh, yeah, that, a that has a, a spinal cord so it could be like a yeah a t-ford it should be the simplest model system but it's still pretty darn difficult <laughs> to analyze <laughs> and So you try to
0: simulate that or
3: what yeah uh, try to simulate how it how it swims and different aspects of that and i mean a lot of people had th- it was a whole whole big uh, research group that did that so
1: and, and what uh, is the promise of working with the biological neural networks what what is the opportunity or use cases that is appealing with this
3: one thing is simply understanding how it works but uh, like th- i think the the best application is to is to treat spinal cord injuries, like try to use that knowledge to, uh, yeah, to, to help people who've had spinal cord injuries. But um, my research was very far from that. It was more basic, basic research. Yeah. Cool.
0: And I think we need to you know, move a bit faster because yeah. we need to cover Alex <laughs> right yeah, as yeah, yeah. well. But then we have a large number of professional topics to, to cover.
1: Let's, let's try to break the trend of having yeah. an introduction for one hour or <laughs> and then a presentation half
0: for half an <laughs> <Yeah>. hour. <laughs> okay, but you went into the PhD. Is, is that something you still are you know, happy with um, or do you think you could have, would you do a PhD again if you were to go back to
3: that time? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I didn't think so during the PhD because it was very hard and <laughs> and like, yeah, it's uh, a lot of desperation when you try to write your papers and stuff yeah. like that. But. But I'm still quite happy in, in retrospect.
1: You're a better person for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I also, it's a nice experience
3: to, to go through,
0: I think, yeah. once you've actually gone through it at least, right?
3: Yeah, right. You, you learn a lot about your, your, yourself and how you react to mm-hmm. Would you agree also that
0: PhD is more about the journey to actually learn how to do science rather than the subject that you potentially have
3: learned? Yeah, I would say so, actually. It's uh, about learning learning how to do science, Yeah. Awesome. Um, What happened after the PhD? Yeah, then I went to Singapore to do a Mm postdoc and uh, switched fields again. Uh, uh, Yeah, you could say I I went back to where I somehow started in in bioinformatics. Uh, But at that time, there had been a big revolution in DNA sequencing. So they had all of these shiny new... Mm. instruments that were (laughs) churning out data and people didn't really know what to what to do with it so that was kind of fun because we were involved in just figuring out what 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 should we do with it how should we analyze it and um, yeah
1: so these are quite a few years before the big gene sequencing breakthroughs that we've had lately in the last couple of years i guess
3: um yeah i don't i don't know what your. Re- no, re- re- I, I think there's, exactly there's been a lot of uh, w- w- I, I mean met- even at
0: that time i think they had a number of breakthroughs you had a number
3: of
1: breakthroughs already then but uh, i uh, i i don't know this i'm, t- I'm talking the, the experts here in yeah i know so i was trying to understand you know what what this was all about versus i don't even know the correct we're talking about the yeah met- no so metaphor or i, mean, I can't even say it
3: correctly. yeah oh, okay yeah then i then i understand what you mean, well, I mean, there was a project that took about 10 years uh, in the 90s mm. about sequencing the first human genome. So it took 10 years and cost, what, like $3 billion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but then after 2007, with these new instruments, it went dramatically down. And now you can sequence a genome for like, I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's, do you know the, the Moore's law? Yeah, well, sequencing is like Moore's law, exponential, Exponential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's insane. right? It's cheaper to sequence a tumor than to take a picture of it with an MRI machine. <laughs> That's yes. Yeah, this
1: is so, so insane. And, and of course, now in the vaccine development and how we have seen that with COVID, of course, it came to practice in, in a very yeah. concrete ways, how modern and mm-hmm. you know, what they could do exactly yeah. how fast, how fast,
0: yeah awesome okay uh, and I, you know singapore is a nice city right so mm, surprisingly yeah. or h- how would you describe singapore as a city
3: well it's a very livable city quite well ordered um and yeah, i have yeah. severe
0: fines right if you do something bad right? <laughs> spit <laughs>
3: yeah i i never got to pay any of those <laughs> but but yeah yeah there are There are rules for sort of uh, drinking water on the subway and and stuff like that. Uh, But, yeah, it was a nice experience to live there. Um, Yeah, everything works.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it's very well-organized. city. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then you you went back and and continue with... How did you come back to Sweden, by the way?
3: Yeah, it was... uh, I, I guess it was a combination of uh, personal things, just wanting to get back to, to family and friends. But also there was a new research center that was being set up, Science for Life Laboratory or life Lab. And since I had been at the same kind of institute in Singapore, they thought I would be an interesting employee. Mm. So I started there like almost at the same time as it was opened in, in soil. What's the mission
0: of sci-life lab? Uh,
3: I guess now it has a, a lot of missions, but it, it's both, both research and providing infrastructure, like providing really heavy machinery for w- w- what they call high throughput biology. So mm-hmm. like DNA sequencers and protein mass spectrometers where you can measure proteins and, mm-hmm imaging and you know, measuring a lot of different things yeah,
0: uh, yeah. Um, and then speaking of trying to push forward here in the the background so we can move into also interesting topics but uh, you moved into more data science topics later, right, there, right? Okay. after Orwell? yeah
3: um yeah so it, it was a mixed bag i mean when i came back to stockholm i started to attend all of this because I, I had kept this interest in data science and machine learning all the mm-hmm. time. I had started a blog that, right. that, uh, that is called Follow the Data that You're right. You're <laughs> I, right. I haven't updated now in a while. But I started that in Singapore. And then when I came back, I started to go to all of these meetups and and um, yeah, doing some hobby projects in ML. And I also did some ML-inspired Things in my in my work mm-hmm. at CyLife Lab, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, eventually 2017, I decided to just go all, all out uh, ML mm-hmm. and and work with that in industry.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was first in IBM, or what? Uh, what was the first? Yeah, <laughs> right. That was
3: at IBM. Mm-hmm.
0: And you also continued uh, to work uh, or. Was it still focused on bioinformatics, or was it more general ML at that time?
3: At IBM, no, it was. Um, I mean, I, I think there was some kind of idea that I would work in their health arm, but then, as as it turned out, I I was working with um, like industrial production, like uh, aluminium and steel plants and. Uh, uh, pulp paper pulp right. mill <laughs> and uh, a little bit of SL yeah yeah uh, subway here in <laughs> Stockholm <laughs> but but it was um, it, it was only six months yeah. because uh, I mean yeah go, going a bit ahead here I I started at Peltarion yeah. after that and I had already like applied to Peltarion before I started mm-hmm. at IBM but mm-hmm. then there was yeah, because there was no opportunity there. But then when they came back to me, then I decided, well, I mm. I still want to work there. What attracted there. you to Peltorium, <laughs> by the way. And yeah, I worked there as well, of
0: course. But what
3: yeah. attracted you to Peltorium? I think it was um, the people uh, were... One big thing, like, I mean, you, you were working there and uh, Lars Sjösund, who I knew from Stockholm AI, I, I had, I had become quite engaged in the Stockholm AI meetup right. group. Yeah. And then I, um, then I also, uh, had heard that the founders were very clever and mm. had, had done cool things. So I guess that was the main reason. Mm.
0: Um, also, Um. I think we hold off with code on because we can take that together, both of you. But before we move there, (coughs) perhaps we could get the intro for Alex as well, Um, unless there is something else you would like to add before we move into.
3: No, I think we can. Awesome.
0: So, Alex, (laughs) how would you describe yourself? So (laughs) it all started in.
2: (laughs) In once, a upon a, ta- once, once upon, upon a, a time. time, in a little country <laughs> called Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. you came from Costa Rica. Though. So I am from a shinier place, yes. Um, <laughs> Where in Costa Rica? It's, well, San Jose, it's pretty much. San the, Jose, the yeah.
1: capital? The capital, yeah. The
2: capital, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a very small country, but... I've been yeah. there
1: twice. Do uh-huh. oh, ah, so you I like it? it? I love it. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. It both from the surfing and the ecotourism. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. My favorites so, that stayed a little bit in Tamarindo and then down Santa Teresa. Yeah, of those places. I don't know. So maybe yeah. different to uh, San Jose I was, a little
2: bit. I was in a in a in a restaurant in Santa Teresa and. Yeah. Our table was the only non-Swedish table. (laughs) Swedes (laughs) love this place.
1: Including
2: the owners. Isn't that funny? So
1: Santa Teresa has been sort of invaded
2: by Swedes. It's invaded by Swedes. Well, I didn't know this. I knew that. It's it's, it's
1: another, like a little Stockholm. (laughs) Uh, Backpacking, maybe, I don't know, surfing, wannabes. Yeah. Yeah, anyway.
2: But anyway, yeah, so... Basically, yeah, I yeah, I come from uh, originally from Costa Rica. I moved in here in two thousand eight. In in two thousand eight, I um, I started uh, with a master's in in uh, bioinformatics in KTH. Okay. And then I started. Uh, I got like six months of that, and then my supervisor told me, "Oh, there's this PI in Karolinska that needs a bioinformatician. Do you want to? You know." Like work half time there. And then, I'm, yeah, sure. So my two year short stay in Sweden turned into. A What's
1: 14 years now, 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> unexpected. Yeah. So you were there more or less for university uh, as, you know, maybe to come, go back off university. Ah, yeah. My, my plan
2: was never to move to Sweden. I mean, that was such a weird, cold country. Yeah. With, yeah <laughs> well, no, no, it was just, it was just temporary. Just, I, I wanted to study bioinformatics because my background yeah. is in computer science. I, I've been, uh, programming since the age of 13. Mm-hmm. So, uh. uh but uh, lately, I before coming here, I I switched to biology, and I thought that uh, combining uh, by combining the two things was really really interesting. And this um, uh, next generation sequencing was all the rage then. And the thing is that in Latin America, there's there were no sequencers in Latin America. I don't think we even have them still. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was the only place that you could say and and Sweden to the, to to their credit, was the only country that had like a bioinformatics, uh, master's in every university. Mm. So it was, I mean, it was a very rare thing in in 2008. Mm. So um, uh, that's how I ended up here. And uh, the idea I did, I did a, a short, um, bioinformatics masters at KTH. Which I mean, that was that was awesome. I mean, the f- it was we were five people in the masters, yeah. so I had the teachers. This, uh, 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 Fressen, Eric. Eric Frisen. Eric yeah. France, yeah. You don't know. Uh, uh, you had this beautiful. I had my perf- own
1: personal own tour.
2: Person. tour. Like you know, I would <laughs> sit with, with him and <laughs> then just ask him questions, and he would be so excited to just tell me everything. But he would sit with me with for hours and just. Talk about the uh, and this science. is the beauty
1: when you're only five or six. Yeah, in your was masters, amazing. Yeah, it was the whatever. best
2: masters ever, mm-hmm. and uh, then I moved to to Karolinska. That was also, I mean, <laughs> it was not a very successful PhD, but I did learn quite a lot. Um, I I started uh, chromatin, three uh, D chromatin architecture, which uh, I mean, you you know uh, your chromosomes. If you stretch your genome, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's actually three meters long. Mm. So you have a string that is three meters long that fits into every cell in your, in your body, and no, you cannot break it. You need to duplicate it. And uh, so take it apart. Each chromosome one by one, throw it into a big ball of twine and you cannot break it. Right. Because then you get mutations and stuff. Mutation. So it's, it's, a, uh, the, this, uh, my PhD was about. Figuring out how does this three meters ball of twine gets to fold into this minuscule little space without tangling. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. and, you know, depending on how you fold the genome, you get either an eye or a, or a foot, right? Yeah. So the folding
0: so, is where the. The true information, it's, it's the,
2: so it's, it's an area called epigenetics. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's the reason why you have the exact same genome in your eye and your foot, but you don't see with your feet right no. <laughs> So it's, it's the, it's the other, the, the software layer of the cell, because the, mm. the, the, the genome is hardware. I mean, you can't change it. Mm. Uh, so the, the epigenome is more like the software It's the things that you can modify to get different cell types out of the exact same genome.
0: So, so would you say like the, the pro- processor in a computer is like a genome and the software that you run on the processor is the epigenetics? Or?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's hard because in biology, the, there is no difference between the, the processor and the program. It's all mixed together. So it's, it's, it's the wrong analogy because okay. it, it, you don't have a processor it, the, 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 code mm. is the program. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's complicated. complicated, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. And because none of the experiments worked, I had to try <laughs> everything and learn everything and, uh, because I was the only bioinformatician in the entire building, I, I didn't have anybody to ask. So I had to learn ev- everything by myself. So that, I mean, yeah, not, not the most papers, to, but uh, it did was- Did you try a, to
0: simulate it or how, how did you go about trying to understand, you know, how, how the tangling worked, if that's the, the purpose?
2: No, what we were trying to do is figuring out the, the, the architecture, like how was it folded? By the 3D structure of the- The tang- 3D tru- structure of the, oh. the chromosome. So the, we developed a wet lab technique that you would make this treatment and then you would sequence the result and mm-hmm. then from that, you could, uh, you wouldn't come up with the whole architecture, mm-hmm. but you can figure out if this gene is usually found in the vicinity of this other ah, gene, right? So. so there's a lot of things that in the, in the genome that act by proximity. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's things that are, if the genome acts like a scaffold where you mm-hmm. put different switches mm-hmm. and if the switch is close to a, a gene, then it can turn it off and turn it back on. Hmm. So it's, it's, um. Yeah, location, location, location. <laughs> <laughs>
0: or, uh, I mean, we should speak about AlphaFold and whatnot um, sometime Ooh, soon here. Yeah, yeah,
2: yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm
1: a big, I'm a huge fan. Yes. <laughs> this yeah. is what I was referring to, and I couldn't find the words mm-hmm. like the big breakthroughs with AlphaFold uh, mm-hmm. compared to the big breakthroughs you had, which mm-hmm. was. So that's us go to sequencing.
0: But yeah, but I added to the list. So we, mm-hmm. we, I think we should cover that properly For so sure. people understand that. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, oof, I'm so tempted to go to like, what are the basic, you know, components of, of uh, bioinformatics, you know, genes and acid sequences, and the genome but, but, but and but, chromo- I think, but, but let's, and wrap,
1: let's but, do the introduction. And, and I think this is a good yeah. segue into mm-hmm. talking about this because we're using the word bioinformatics now. And, and for, for listeners who are not into this world, I think there's maybe a starting point with some of those, So t-
2: let me tell you why bioinformaticians make good AI scientists. A um, good touch. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a awesome. what a cliffhanger! <laughs> 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 uh, got a cliffhanger. So how come? Because I mean, there, there's three of us, so clearly there's something there, and we we tend to hire bioinformaticians mm-hmm. because it's they're easier to train. Uh, it's easier to train a bioinformatician, and the the reason is biological data is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, every patient that I look at is 300 gigabytes per patient that I mm-hmm. per person that I get and that I need to analyze, right? That's not very common in any other industry. I mean, when I was a software developer I never saw data sets that size, right. Uh, so, uh, or, or if, if there are, you usually don't have access to them. So by from uh, biology has huge publicly available data sets that nobody knows how to manage. Um, they it's they're, they're terrible quality data sets because it's in biology, nothing happens exactly the same that two times in a row, right? <laughs> it's, it's the world of one plus one equals three, maybe four, sometimes <laughs> one. <right? laughs> and,
3: um, yeah, and it's I mean, very noisy.
2: it's super noisy. So we're used to dealing with these imperfect data sets, huge data sets. So and f-
1: make it work anyway.
2: And you have to make it work.
1: Right. So now because you the li- li- all the tips and tricks that becomes really yeah. for the dirty world useful. Yeah.
2: And, uh, in, in Sweden, at least we had, I had the benefit of uh, my boss came to, the first project that he gave me was, oh, you're a computer guy. Well, uh, I need you to do this. Oof, that's going to take six years to, to process. <laughs> well, uh, but how can we make it quicker? Well, I would need like a ton of computers. Well, we have like a thousand uh, computers in the, in the cluster. Why don't you use those? I was like. Okay, <laughs> so I mean that's the and, and it was impossible to solve that particular problem. And no matter how clever I write the the software, is it's to this day you cannot solve that without uh, a massive amount of
0: computers, without uh, ensemble algorithms as well. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah. awesome. Um, so ha- how? I'm still trying to figure out. You know what was the the main main contributions of the PhD work was it to try to understand how the actual structure was located for specific like genomes or was it how to, to do that or what was how would you describe you know what the main purpose was we were
2: trying to figure out um so like I said there's there's regions of the genome where, where you have switches yeah. right and uh Normally, those switches affect only the gene. The, you think of the of the chromosomes as a linear plane, right? Yeah. So you have in position five, you have a switch, and then you have a gene in position uh, fifty,
4: mm-hmm.
2: right? And then you say, okay, because it's very close, then the, this this switch in position five is going to affect. So that's true. Mm-hmm. When they're linearly close, mm-hmm. then it affects. Yeah. But what they found out is that. I mean, sometimes you can be five million bases away Mm. and you still are regulated by the same switch. And that's because they are because in 3D? In 3D, they're in the same place Um, most of the time. Right, right, right. Uh, And also, I mean, there's different densities of uh, how deep into the wormhole do you, because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to go yeah, into this, geez, but love little, it, geez, love it. But I mean, there's there's different densities of of the folding. So there's 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 parts of the chromosome that are so tightly packed mm. that they cannot be opened to express the genes that they encode. And those yeah. those parts are the are the the genes that you're not supposed to express in that particular cell type. Okay. So the, the, the compaction of the, uh, of, the, of the chromosomes plays a, plays a role, mm-hmm. and also the proximity of different elements or different genes to each other play I a see. role.
0: So you need so, to find all these kind of features so, that impact. And know, this
2: is beyond the resolution of, of even the highest microscopes, right? Yeah, like, so uh, so what you need to do is you need to use next generation sequencing. To what? what uh, essentially, the the protocol that we that we designed was you you take a, a the, this ball of twine and you throw you you submerge it in glue, right? Mm-hmm. So now everything that is kind of in the same place it sticks together. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Okay. Yeah.
2: Now take that glue and grind it. <laughs> okay, and make little <laughs> like chop it up into a million pieces. Yeah and uh, now you're going to have pieces of glue that have pieces of one chromosome and pieces of another chromosome uh-huh. okay now uh, you have these strings uh, tie, uh, glued together now now tie two of them rejoin them and mm-hmm. uh, so that they're now one consecutive piece of dna mm-hmm. and now sequence that yeah, right. so what it would get is uh, let's say uh, a billion little pieces of right. of, of of sequence that I have to uh, map to the genome and, and the, uh, okay. And the, the tricky part is that every cell has a slightly different config, well, a very different configuration. Mm. So now you take, you take all that, you throw them into a blender (laughs) you mix them up (laughs) so I get one piece from one cell, another piece from another cell. So what we would get is like, okay, these two parts of the chromosome are usually together. So why is that, you know, and then. That's what the, the whole, uh, well, the, the whole, uh, PhD was trying to, to optimize the, the, uh, the, bioinformatic pipeline to analyze that type of data because nobody had done that, yeah. this type of, of, uh, protocol before, There's because, because really
1: th- this is so complicated. So you need to basically build the pipeline. You need to build the production line in order to even analyze this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's full of
2: artifacts. So the, the first, my first job was. You know, getting super happy uh, a thousand times and then just to figure out that it was an artifact. (laughs) Okay, that
0: all happened regardless of. of, (laughs) So So given all these kind of small, grinded pieces of sequences, then trying to see how that maps to the original Mm -hmm. genome sequence. And then you can figure out what the 3D position basically is. Mm -hmm.
2: and it's not a, a fixed position. It's the probability of being yeah, in, that, yeah. in the vicinity. Because of, right? of all the artifacts and whatnot. No, no, because the, the oh. n- mm. every cell, it's a stochastic process. So it's not oh, a crystalline yeah. form that yeah. always falls in exactly the same no, way. Like s- everybody falls uh, yes. slightly. So there's a, a there's a higher probability of of being in the vicinity of a regular uh, regulatory element, yeah, yeah. you know, so it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's very, interesting, interesting, problem. It's a yeah. very uh, b- interesting it's a very interesting. It was a really really cool problem. Uh, yeah. I, I had lots of fun uh, with the cluster and trying different things and uh,
0: yeah. Awesome. Was after K, uh, KI was that when you started uh, Codon or do you have anything no? So after
2: after the postdoc, I spent uh, six months uh, while I was writing my my thesis in AstraZeneca. Uh, also working in bioinformatics. Then I went to Scilaf and I think that's when, uh, when we met.
0: Um, so you were there at the same time as Mikhail. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. So for, for yeah. a while we, we were there at the same time. I mean, we, we all knew Michael, of course he was the, the, uh, the guru of uh, bioinformatics. Uh, so now, now he's known as the guru of, uh, of AI, but back then he yeah. was all about the next generation <laughs> sequencing. So uh, the, the reference, the, the, the person you would call when you didn't know what to do. But so,
1: yeah, is, when you wrote your, when you got published in nature, is that part of, uh, Singapore life or here in both. Stockholm or both?
3: Yeah, so nature, like, I, I've published one paper in the journal that is just called Nature, mm-hmm. but Nature also has some, some like, other titles, like Nature Genetics, Nature Biotechnology, Nature Methods, etc. So the one that was in the Nature Nature was uh, part of Singapore life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the,
1: and, and, and for no one who doesn't know, nature is a big deal, you know, in academic circuits I would say, yeah. it doesn't matter which discipline you're in, so it's a big deal even if you're not, you,
3: uh, right, in my opinion? Yeah, I mean it, it, it is a big deal. In um, biology you talk about CNS, cell, nature and science, those, those are like the big ones, um, but even for physics or anything else, yeah. nature and science are, are the big ones.
0: What do you think about some people that say that DeepMind, you know, that get published rather frequently in both science and nature have, um, what do you call it, a fast lane into that because of who they are and potentially the importance or the way they select articles these days has degraded some way. Can you see what I mean? I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's true. Uh, because it's still, of course, super big in you know inventions and and knowledge and that they have provided. But some people claim that you know they they just get published because who they are rather than what they did, and it's super hard for anyone else to get in there
3: these days. Well, I think it's both. I I think they do really good work from yeah. from what I have seen. But but it's also true that. Like these journals are referred to as like <laughs> glam magazines <laughs> in the <laughs> biology community. It's like, you know, famous professors have an easier time yeah. getting in there. And you know, the editors maybe and stuff like that. So it is true. But I also think DeepMind do really good work that uh, probably deserves to be there. So I, it's I, awesome. <laughs> I, I love
1: this joke. <laughs> the vogue of science. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. anyway but, but i just wanted uh, yeah but when you were uh you were there together mm-hmm. and then um I used to wrap up that part of the story
2: oh yeah so as i am in in science in in sci life and I'm, I'm a happy camper there i'm i'm uh, um i'm doing uh, bioinformatics and um, i'm having fun and then the the um, uh, Eric, the, 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 other uh, Codon confounder t- uh, turns around to me, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other confounder, um, he tells me like, ah, let's start a company. And I said, eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: year was that? Huh? What you was that? Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, this is not
3: Codon yet. No, no it's that's not Codon.
1: That's double
2: strand. We started, we started a bioinformatics company. It it was two years before Codon and Codon is three years, maybe five years ago. Yeah. So what's the name of that company? Double Strand Bioinformatics. Oh, Double Strand. See, and that's, that's, we started Double Strand Bioinformatics and doing, again, bioinformatics and a little bit of machine learning. And then all is good. And we survived and it was, it was going well. And then we remembered this guy was, uh, and then we said, like, Michael, we should start a company together. And then we then we started uh, codon and then yeah the rest is history
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the people from Double strand also joined codon basically it like
2: was only two it was, it was ah, eric yeah, and me yeah. so okay. we were two we were two guys mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah we just uh, we saw that there was uh, i mean there was uh, a lot of, of, uh, we still do a lot of bioinformatics and, and we're trying to make a niche for ourselves in the, in the biotech, like being the AI mm. of biotech,
4: yeah.
2: uh, because we all come from the, um, from the biological world. And, um, but, uh, there w- we also have like, like completely AI and completely ML unrelated, mm. uh, projects or pure I'm
4: Sorry,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: But, what year was this? When did you get started
3: with Codon? 2019. 2019.
0: And the founders are you two and Eric and two or? No, the
3: three. Yeah well, yeah, well there was a fourth founder also but he moved to Taiwan. Ah. So yeah, uh, decided mm-hmm. to... And what was the
0: thinking? What, what do you say that the mission and the speciality of Codon is? I mean, it's kind of obvious, but, but still, how would you phrase the speciality of codon?
3: And what does the name come
0: from, by the way?
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, the genetic code. Yeah. The, the genetic code that, like, determines how uh, DNA is translated to amino acids. The so codon is a, is a triplet of nucleotides mm. that codes for an amino acid. But then we also thought like yeah it has something to do with coding it's like it's like a a a dual dual purpose word cool but yeah it's a triplet of nucleotides (laughs) (laughs) and you were a triple as well yeah (laughs) joined it right okay i see it
0: i think uh, most other people that don't know bioinformatics just thinks you know cool name software coding right
3: yeah exactly yeah no, but we're a, a consultancy in machine learning and data science, and we you know do all kinds of projects, mm-hmm. like we can do them from from start to end or mm-hmm. or or some part of them. and as alex said we we do all kinds of projects uh, due to our background, maybe we have an extra edge in life science, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. We have all kinds of projects.
0: Can you give some highlights perhaps some interesting projects you have worked with? Oh
2: yeah. I, I, I no, Don't look at me. I don't know. I've signed so many NDAs. I don't know what <laughs> I can say. You know, yeah. like, I'm always afraid of saying the wrong thing.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean one project that, that I guess we can talk about is with uh, Sveagro. So that's mm-hmm. an, uh, ecological, um, what's it called? Ecological greenhouse. Company that's on Färingsö next to Ekerö outside of Stockholm, and yeah, they they are quite big in the area. You know, when you go to a you know, Willis or Coop or, or another shop and you buy like a you buy like a pot with basil or something like that, it's often from Sveagro. And uh, we have we have uh, or we are still. Uh, building out a solution for them for forecasting their yields. Yeah. And there we have worked on the, on the whole chain. We, we started by setting up cameras. I guess you were out there. Yeah. No, Eric was the one. Uh,
2: Eric was climbing a
3: ladder and <laughs>
2: nailing yeah. the cameras to the,
3: to the post. Yeah. Setting up the cameras. The, the, the entire process.
0: <laughs> 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 so,
3: end <yeah>. to end. End <laughs> <F> to end. <laughs> yeah. And then we have trained models to, you now estimate how how tall they are I mean, on average? Of course, they are I huge. I mean, I think
0: you would need to to just elaborate a bit more. yields meaning like some kind of plants growing somewhere in some.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, we're uh, actually I, w- I was a bit imprecise. It's actually the height that we are looking at in most of the cases mm. because you know they need to grow them to a certain height because they have to fit in these bags with mm. the pots. And they have different different sizes and they need to plan and it's a huge operation, I think they said they can, they can produce like 30 million of, of these mm-hmm. a year or something like that.
0: So it's some kind of, what kind of plant or is it, is it, uh, uh
3: so the first one we did in the, in the like proof of concept was basil, basilica. Mm. And now we're also doing, uh, dill, cilantro, thyme. Tim Yan, uh, so this is when you go to Ikea and you
1: buy your pot of basil mm-hmm. and yeah. and basically this, they are picked at a certain time when they have a certain height. So they fit perfectly in the bag, the yeah. way to yeah. present it. Yeah. But the problem yeah. is even is, is, is tough
2: because uh, on a Monday you need this many, ah. but on a Thursday you need this many. So it's not just like, let's grow as many as we can, because if you grow them and you don't sell them, you have to throw them away.
1: Oh, so they have to optimization optimize, optimize so yeah, that they they, have to plan. they
2: they have the yield that they will need on the day of the delivery, so that it it so that they don't
1: have to throw so away on plans. the day of the delivery. I need fifty thousand plants at this height, exactly. not more, not less. Not less,
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean there is a there is a margin, but
0: <laughs> so how can you control that? Is just how much you know water them, or what? How do you control? The,
3: uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, temperature is is the main okay. is the main thing that Let's you see. can uh, mm-hmm. control because they have a weather control system inside the greenhouse, mm-hmm. so we can get data from that and and analyze it. And yeah, mainly temperature, but also uh, mm-hmm. irrigation and yeah, maybe like changing the composition of the soil sometimes.
0: So then you set up a number of cameras or yeah. sensors that you can uh, measure?
3: Yeah, they already had the sensors, the cameras okay. we, we set up. Okay. And then we started to collect images and annotate. So they, they set up little like rulers mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in these ah, pots. <laughs> in each pot?
0: So you can <laughs> yeah. like number of centimeters yeah. or something? Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. okay. And... Um, and then they have a QR code and we, we also did the uh, like thing that prints out the QR codes <laughs> <laughs> and then it recognizes a QR code because it's important to know when this crop was planted, um, uh, because they, they have this, you know, schedule. And then, um, and then we started to collect a lot of images and we sat in the summer of 2020, looking at a lot of these images and <laughs> counting the lines on this ruler, like, oh, annotating <laughs> well, yeah, just annotating thousands of images. Everything looked like basil. To after, get the training, to get data you were dreaming about basil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to get a good training data set.
0: Yeah, and what type of model were you using, if you can share?
3: Um, yeah, so in, in the end, it turned out to be a uh, efficient net. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I forgot B4 that. or something? Or B1, I, yeah. I think it was B4, but not 100% sure anymore, but I think it was B4. And, and for
0: people that's interested, efficient net is like an, um, a neural architectural search optimized version of like ResNet or something, right?
3: Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I know it's... Uh, Neural architecture search based, but yeah, that's, that's about what I know. We tried a lot of different ones, and, mm.
1: and but, but, but let me, let me ask this from another angle, uh, what was your process to find the, the different, you know, in, very practically, how did we go about to try to find the right algorithm to fit the problem and how much did you have to code and how, how much could you find it in a, you know, in a, in a TensorFlow library or something like this. So. Uh, On a very practical term, how do we go about it?
3: Yeah. So, um, in, in the first iteration, so this project has had two parts, like one part in 2020 and another part now where we do all of of the other crops in the first one, we actually used the Peltarium platform (laughs) Ah, (laughs) to, to find the, yeah, find the best model. Cool. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> so that, that's our of our modus operandi. We first do a proof of concept mm-hmm. with yeah. a, with a new customer. We always recommend let's do a proof of concept. Make sure mm-hmm. that you have the data in place. That you have. That you interested in the right questions. I mean, I mean that are answerable questions. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. uh, I mean, we get people that want like a general AI uh, solution, <laughs> and and uh, and and then
0: the other do side you have a solution for that. Again? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh,
2: um and um eh, yeah so first we do a, a POC to make sure that there's you know it's it it can be made into a in, into a product and then we go into an MVP and then we go into production right I, I'm, I'm missing a
0: step there
1: or, very similar uh, to the steps you prop- uh, propagate for i think
0: yeah there uh, the, the pilot uh, Peltorion thing about you know the prototype pilots and production mm-hmm. steps yeah
1: but, but yeah yeah. So, in, so in this case now, just uh, to be re- really, really down to earth, so you used the, the Paltorium platform as mm-hmm. a way to basically be able to, tr- you know, use the platform to very easily try the different the libraries or whatever was available in there. Is that how it worked, or?
3: Yeah, because I, I was familiar with the platform, and I thought, yeah. okay, it will be really fast to to uh, go through some different models and, and see how they work. So uh, it it was, it was a nice solution. We also had an uh, intern who was working with us then, and he tried some, uh, some other variations in Keras, but yeah, in in the end, the the efficient net was more successful. Mm
1: -hmm. And then, and then when you find that, you know, could you use the Peltron platform or do, or do you download that as an open library or how does it work now? Is this a TensorFlow? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm asking as as a, as a layman who doesn't know how, how it sort of, how you go about it, how much you need to think about getting your algorithm working and how much it's basically open source in some ways library you can
3: use. I mean, we could have used an open source library as well and I mean now now we are doing everything in in pytorch mm. also um but yeah it it was it was mostly convenience because i knew it would be quick because you you have all of these uh, visualizations of how the training goes you can look at like
1: so now you could have the whole operation stack in pytorch instead a little bit
3: yeah and it, it also had this thing where you can see the predictions like, Oh, it got this one wrong. It got this one, right. Okay. That's like, that's interesting to know. And one, one funny thing, by the way, is that, uh, you know, in the beginning we were just looking at the, the images as, as they were. So first we had to use another model, an object detection model to find these sticks mm-hmm. and for that I used, um, some model from the Detectron 2. It's from Facebook AI Research. Mm. And and that worked really well. Like that was, you know, 100 examples and it it learned to find those sticks. And then you have these basil plants and then you have the stick and you have the QR code. Uh, But then when we were looking at, like, this was actually something we did sort of outside of the platform, but we tried to look at Okay what is the model looking at in the image yeah, exactly <laughs> with, uh, with the, the wolf uh, problem yeah <laughs> can can I, can I can I take responsibility for that
2: uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think I, I think I was the one that asked you. Like, are you sure it's it's uh, looking at that and not doing something crazy? And that's that, I think. Yeah, that's
0: yes. I think this is a serious topic, and, and we should actually I think speak a bit about this as well. If mm-hmm. you take explainable predictions or explainable AI, mm-hmm. um, I know you have a big interest and knowledge in, in this, Mikhail, as well. Um, and I guess if we start. With that, you know, let's start it in this way. So I think there is a big like discussion about the need and the use for explainable AI. And um if I take a person that I do respect but still disagree on this point, uh Jan Likun, mm-hmm. he has famously said, you know, at some panel debate, you know, do you need to have explainable predictions or not? And he said, explainability or something <laughs> and says you know it's no need to have explainability it's completely over um, estimated or the value of it is, is, is hyped I, I can't say I, dis- I agree with that but what's your thinking you know do you think there is a need to have you know well working
3: explainable predictions uh, yes. <laughs> no, <I> can, <laughs> How could I explain? <laughs> <a> leading question <laughs> on <about> this show. <laughs> no, I, I can um, uh, continue on, on this thing that I was just saying as an example. Yes. Because um, so you have this image, right, <laughs> where you have the basil plants, you have the ruler, you have the QR code. And we had a model that yeah. was working really well. This
1: is funny. <laughs> and tell. then
3: when we looked with uh, the GradCam algorithm on what it was looking at, so that it was only analyzing the QR code. <laughs> so, he was cheating. <laughs> yeah. he was cheating. <laughs> yeah. So it was like... <laughs> Too smart for school, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then it could figure out like, okay, so this is uh, planted, you know, 25 days ago and then it's probably about this tall and
1: like so he he may, he, he went yeah. reverse engineering on the problem
3: yeah but you mean it actually understood the
0: QR code and could from that figure out when it was planted
3: i mean we, i i don't exactly know but it, yeah you, the fact is that it, it was only focusing on on this qr code and huh. somehow that information was enough for it to it's a, it's a big stick
2: with yeah. a with a qr code that encodes the date right yeah. and the stick has the little lines yeah. And then they were like, Whoa, it's, it's recognizing the, the heights and everything. And I was like, are you sure Can you, wh- what happens if you blur the the QR code and then the, you know, it didn't work. Uh,
0: so it was the relationship between the QR code and the height of the plant. Is yes. that what you're saying? No, they was
2: w- looking at the, it was looking at the QR code, right? In, 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 in somehow it was making the prediction. It was focusing all its attention on the QR code. So we don't know what it was doing but it was not looking at
1: the at the ticks on the on the So he was so basically uh, from the training data set it, it you could the QR code related to when this was planted yeah. Yeah. was typically uh, the right outcome the the right correct answer mm. so then he basically focused only on the QR code and you know so predicted that, well this last QR code had so many days behind. So that's why it worked. Instead of really looking at the, the real true. But still, how could it figure out from the QR code when it was planted? You know,
0: that's, yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see my frustration here, (laughs) 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 can it really do that? Or can Can you you reason about, you know, why you thought the attention was so much on the QR code,
3: the QR code is, is generated from a string that contains the date, the date. Do you, you actually think it
0: learned how the QR code was generated, you mean? Is you think the network was that smart?
3: I mean, I, I guess it has figured out some some pattern. The
1: topology but. pattern of the QR code? I don't know. Yeah. I don't it know. sounds uh, long, far-fetched. Uh, Maybe smarter than <laughs> you think. <laughs> Maybe it's,
2: uh, we, I don't know exactly mm. how QR codes work, but it, mm. it, it could be something that it's you know this particular region of the cure code, uh, but empirical when,
1: evidence when you blur the cure code.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean the the thing is that it was. Why would the cure code matter when you're trying to figure out? You know that the height of couldn't the
0: couldn't it be that it tries to see the relationship in terms of height compared to the cure code? It could be
2: that the QR code changes color and we don't don't notice it. For example, mm-hmm. that the paper is darker at the end of the cycle than at the beginning. Something as, or, or maybe with the with the water, it becomes blurry. Something like that. I mean, we, we what is the
1: height of the, the QR code? It or is it constant?
2: scoring the in the tree? No, the QR code they put it when they plant the the, 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 the
4: the. It's in the
2: pot. It's in the pot. And it just says the date, and then it follows the plant, so that we know, you know, these these are like. Uh, 200 meters of plants so you don't know like what at what time each section was planted unless you have you marked them somewhere mm-hmm. yeah. so we we i mean we put, were
3: hoping that it would focus on on the lines on the ruler or the uh yeah the the leaves but it was <laughs> it was not caring about that at all I,
2: I agree i don't think it was the code in the QR code but no. something in there was was uh um yeah.
1: was tripping it was but, but was it's an interesting it. case now because it sort of highlights that you need to kind of know what what it's focusing on. Yeah.
3: Mm. And the, there is another example from medical uh, yeah medical image processing. I may have written about this in a in a blog post before but uh so they trained this x-ray analyzer uh, that was uh, trying to determine if um yeah, if if something had been broken or if if the rupture was severe enough to need medical attention or something like that, and they had trained a really good model, I'm like yeah, this is working, cool. But then when they applied this type of uh, method where you look at what it's focusing on, then it turned out it was only focusing <laughs> on a, a watermark that is found on certain scanners, x-ray scanners, (laughs) and those are portable scanners that you bring on an ambulance. Mm. So when you bring something on an ambulance, then it's probably like worse. It's probably someone who who has a a worse case of this. and So it was just using that information and not looking at the bones at all.
0: Crazy. I mean, it's funny, similar to another Peltorium project that we had that looked at, um, uh, patient journal texts, if you remember. And, and uh, at that time we wanted to know if they were to subscribe, uh, to prescribe antibiotics or not given, uh, like journal texts for, for dentists. And then you have the journal text and and then we use explainable AI and what it actually turned out to be looking at was the name of the doctor and not the text in the journal at all. (laughs) And some doctors were apparently prescribing antibiotics much more than others. That was more important than the actual content of the the journal.
1: But but circling back to the core topic of explainable AI here. So, um, I mean, like the argument we've had here. Is that you know how to do explainable doesn't mean like you 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 need to follow exactly the neurons, but you can even ask uh, the neural network to explain what is your key marker. I guess that, like
0: that's that. a question to, to both of you. You know, do you, what do you think the right way to do explainable explainable predictions is? Is it more introspective, or is it more this kind of attribution based, or it could be also more generative like WT five stuff? What's your thinking there? Do you think there is any value in doing introspection-based kind of explainable predictions?
3: Mm, yeah. Well, I, I think I'm I, I'm not sure if there is like a general recipe. If you should uh, make it. You're so <laughs> humble all the time. And I think
0: sometimes you have to take a stand. You know, this is worthless. This is useful.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've I've mostly worked with explainability in in like images and then in tabular data. So mm-hmm. in, in tabular data, I usually, I usually use Shap mm-hmm. uh, Shapley value based explainability yes. framework, which, which I think is, is good. Uh, haven't had the chance to do that much in NLP, just read some papers about it. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know if, if you have any tips, is it good to look at the attention weight? Um, I, know, I know there I, are many. I was
0: thinking more like attribution-based, meaning that you don't look at the model internally at all. You instead mm. use some kind of attribution to the input, like integrated yeah. gradients or even shape values. Or, yeah. you know, GradCam could be one at least for images, but not so much yeah. for, for text, uh, at least not for BERT models. And then, you know, the question is, should you attribute you know, the explanation back to the input that you have for the network. And that's yeah. one way to do it, so like attribution based in that way, the introspection is more trying to figure out, you know, what neuron or what, which layers in some way that is, yeah. you know, causing this type of prediction, or even saying that, you know, looking at, at uh, simplistic, like linear regression or something, you can find the coefficients and say, here are the coefficients that is, you know, the main um, cause for, for this prediction. And that would be more of an introspection type of explanation. And if you have any thoughts, you know what the pros and cons of that type of explanation would be.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think attribution-based methods are, are are good if you want to base some kind of decision on it. If you want to, if you want to know, like what what was it that that was responsible for this. There's also another kind of explainability that I, I I don't know what the like general name for it is, but like when you, when you try to figure out sort of the, the smallest change that would change the class of of an example or or something like that.
0: I mean, it's not uh, counterfactual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Counterfactual. I think that is, yeah. Quite interesting as well. The right. introspection is is maybe more of sort of theoretical interest, although I think it's very interesting. Like there was this uh, what was it, this OpenAI blog post where they found that like one neuron was responsible for <laughs> some very. Like, it's interesting, but <laughs> not very useful, I would say. Yeah, yeah. That's but also, I
0: would argue, and, and please, I'm going to be a bit more provocative here now, but but this is, uh, I think, a very common opinion that, you know, the, the shallow models is, is very useful because you can understand them. Mm. And, and that's why you should resort to using them instead of using neural networks. And then you can simply look at, you know, decision trees or, you know, um, or at coefficients, or potentially you know, even random forests. You know, have really way nice ways to, to find like the, the most you know important features that you can have, like feature import- importance metrics. Yeah, but I would argue at least that if you look at the simple, like coefficient based, super simple kind of introspection or yeah explainable uh, method, it's so easy to get fooled by that mm. because you could have this kind of it's, it has this nice name that I forgot right now, mm. but. Uh, um, you can have dependencies between the features that you have um, that is causing, you know, a single feature to have high importance. But in reality, there are other features just as important But the model has mm-hmm. learned that because they have so strong collinearity, you know, correlations, they just focus on one because they don't need to focus on the other. It's sufficient with one, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. you get fooled by this kind of you know, feature importance metrics That you can see,
3: yeah, that's true. I I think, like in 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 an ideal case, if you have sort of a good idea of how the different features are related, uh, you could try to use causal inference Mm -hmm. to try to figure out like what is really driving this, because then you have some model of which features are, or at
0: least use shap values, because of that. I think that's at least some kind of theoretical proof that it actually. We'll find a better way to to find feature importance, right
3: yeah, I guess it should work a bit a bit better because it's like these coalitions of features, and yeah, we don't need to go go into that, but yeah it's it's not maybe suffering in the same way, yeah. Perhaps you
0: shouldn't go that deep, but uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's nice to just go deep in some <laughs> tech as well. You
1: know, um, actually you need to humor Anders here because it's it's mm. up and down in terms of uh, <laughs> how technical we are going with guests, depending on if, you know, sometimes we have a CIO on, on here and, and like this, and I'm more of a business guy and, and I can see Anders letting me, you know, talk more and then like... Mm. <laughs> In the after after work, yeah, that was a really good presentation, but I I, I kind of want to talk tech now. I want to go nerdy. So, <laughs> so guys, come on. Come <laughs> on. No, <but> let's, <laughs> you were on this. No,
0: let's us try to close the topic of explainable AI. And I, I think we, and please disagree if you don't agree, but I think we can agree that explainable AI is very important. Mm. And there are, I would argue, good techniques, even for deep learning based methods to find good explanations that are useful and you have, you know, direct experience of this from the yeah. uh, like water plant uh, or the, the, plant experience. Right. So
2: yeah,
3: definitely.
0: And, and not to
2: overstate well, Okay, I'm biased because I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, the I'm a little bit downstream, right? So mm. I'm, I'm the, 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 one looking at data sets all day. Mm. And I mm. think, I, I think that, I mean, if you don't spend enough time trying to figure out what's wrong with your data set yeah. then you end up with these problems in the in right. upstream right yeah. so i think that i mean people go straight into try to fine tune and get the best value of yeah. the you know make all these crazy models and they don't ensemble have any ensemble models <laughs> and,
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then they throw the ensemble models at it.
2: and then they don't have any idea of, of what the data is is yeah. is really is yeah. really oh, saying right yeah. so i think that uh, most of these uh, of these problems that you get upstream is because you didn't spend
0: enough quality time with your data downstream i mean we, we should resort i think to to one of the andrew ing kind of yeah and, uh, well, let's comments, go right? let's let's I mean,
1: move now to, from explainable ai and understand now that alex made a link from a- explainable ai to data centric ai and how important it is to start thinking data centric and then the segue Andrew Ing, maybe.
0: So, yeah. Do, do you know his? Uh, I guess you read the batch and all the the newsletters that he have and what yeah. Andrew Ing is saying. Yeah. So in short, you know, he's speaking about the model centric versus data centric ways of working, I guess, and, and then you can do what what you mentioned, Alex, that trying to find in you know, whatever kind of improvement in accuracy by tweaking the model and and God forbid, for, forgive use ensemble models. But in reality, if you don't understand the data properly, you can get fooled by the accuracy you receive if you just tweak the, the model. Mm-hmm. With that. Yeah. Mm. So in in well, with all this explainable part,
2: uh so I, I work more at the data level. So what I, what I try to do is torture my data set. Yeah. I uh-huh. mean I until torture it my it data. I love it. It. until it confesses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it like I torture stuff. my data set. I want I, to learn I, these
1: methods of torture.
2: I twist <laughs> it, I rotate it, I I I add noise, you know, like really, really screw it up. So And this so is what you learn if you're in bioinformatics. And this is what you learn if you if you you've look at that biological uh, data sets that yeah. you need uh, you, you need to really of have of a, a lot of variation right. so that you 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 keep the, the, the model on their toes because uh, my view is that uh, AI is lazy they'll always find the, the most obvious thing shortcuts, right yeah. the shortcuts and then those are not what uh, that's not what I want you to look at I want you to look at that other mm-hmm. thing so I, I try to like mix mix up the, uh, the, the data as much as possible. So that any, uh, I- in a way, that artifacts should be eliminated, mm-hmm. right, and uh, and and then not having to have the problem, and that and and also do proper analysis, and make sure that you have a good experimental design. But could and we,
1: could we really unpack this and go a bit nerdy for po- how you torture data, mm. <laughs> concretely? I mean, uh, so you have a
2: set of of uh, mm-hmm. uh, you have a set of of, uh, of plans, right? Yeah. of uh, pictures of plants well you can zoom in and out of of plants uh, zoom in and out of and subsample the 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 picture in a million different ways uh, you can blur the image you can you can change the colors i mean because in in doing all those things you know that the the big patterns are going to stay but the 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 noise, the noise is is going to be blurred away right So, um, that's like a, a simple example, but also just the, the, I've, I've had uh, success just adding like Gaussian noise to a, to a tabular data set. So what you're saying,
1: you're adding noise to data sets in order to, how how can that help? Because if you, if you add noise, then it, it can't get
2: fixated on the fact that you have like the same value. Always, like the same set of values. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it's similar to just uh, um, the the what, what is this the data augmentation or not the data when you block the layers that you filter the. Do you mean dropout? Dropout. Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like dropout, but at the at the data uh, at the yeah, data data at level at the good. data level. So you, you can torture it that way.
1: So so it, you're doing a lot of different things, and you so basically it, it allows you to, well, you give more noise so. so So in the end sense, the real features and artifacts, the the, the hypothesis is that they they will be, they will come out anyway. Yeah. Because that will be the only thing
0: that is constant. I think time is flying away here and and I want to really extract, you know, some knowledge from you guys that are experts in also bioinformatics here in some way. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And and perhaps we can just uh, speak a bit about, you know, some of the core components of Bioinformatics and and we you have mentioned a number of terms here: amino acids, genomes, genes, chromosomes, and whatnot. Can, can we can you just try to explain a bit? You know how do they relate to each other? Just give us like one on one on, you know, what how are the genome built up in some way? Is that a, do you see what how I mean? is
2: the genome built up? Um, well, I mean. You have to ask n- not how the, the genome is built up, but maybe how how do you be, how do you go from a set of instructions to a human being? Right? Mm,
0: okay, yeah, let's go cool there because
2: the the genome is just a sequence, a very long sequence of, of four letters. Yeah. Uh, but the, 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 interesting part it comes in, in how do you interpret that to create this huge diversity, right? From mm-hmm. the, if you have a, the same software program, you run it 500 times. It's always going to get the same result. Mm-hmm. But here but you yet, get the foot and an eye. And, the, here mm-hmm. you get a foot and an eye out of exactly, I mean, you have exactly the same genome in your eye and your foot. I mean, yeah. there's, there's mm-hmm. very, very, very loss, uh, very, very little loss there.
0: Okay, so, so so that's another like area on top of the genome, but still, you know, the genome itself contains a number of things, and and, and you have proteins yeah. there as well, and, and you know.
3: Yeah, maybe we can uh, zoom out a bit. Like, uh, so bioinformatics is the you know, science or or technique to use statistics, and data analysis, and programming on biology, usually molecular biology. So all of these things that you mentioned are molecular biology, and uh, there is the central dogma Mm. that states that you have DNA, which is like the fixed template. And then that gets transcribed to a like transient message that is called RNA. And then that gets uh, translated into the protein, which is like the building blocks you have it in, in your, your hair. Have it in, yeah, your skin, everything, but also like hor- yeah, hormones and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everything, <laughs> not everything, but a lot of things that are happening in the body. So there are different levels and uh, proteins are made of amino acids. Mm-hmm. There are sequences of amino acids. So that's the amino acid. And both DNA and RNA are made of uh, nucleotides. These four, four letters, ACGT. In RNA, it's ACGU, but okay, it's a no. detail.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's great. I mean, you try to provide some kind of hierarchy or term, uh, yeah. some kind of uh, terminology. Of, uh, we know, we we have
1: we, been trying to learn and get educated on this topic before the Vernova guys. Oh do yeah, do you know CEO
3: you know? I know of them, but. But I don't... Because it's don't interesting,
1: know. like they, they go down from this level, like, like, because this is the same story, right, around the genome, the RNA and all that. And then, you know, going into the microscopy, uh, you know, how to make these images smaller, smaller, and smaller. And and now we can go in another from the same topic, we can go into bioinformatics. Yeah. Okay, but then
0: sequencing is another term that we used a lot. What is the problem of sequencing that you're mentioning? The, the problem of sequencing what what is the
2: like the like the industry of sequencing maybe yeah, sure so uh sequencing basically you have a you have a human genome that's yeah. uh what is it 3 3 gigabases right yeah uh, 3 gigabases or 3 uh, 3000 million bases yeah and you have one of those in every single cell in your body yeah. and uh you want to see okay that's a sequence of uh, letters but yeah. how do i go from a physical molecule to knowing what that sequence is. And right. that's the process of sequencing. So You have a
0: single molecule. And now you want to sequence that, what and, that is. And is that now it? you want to know what is the
2: sequence of, of ATG, yeah. like this 3 uh, billion. billion, 3 billion of those. And, and, uh, so, and that's the thing that took, uh, 10, ten years, years and $3 billion. Three. billion dollars, and now you can do it for a hundred dollars in 24 hours in a USB stick. So, um, yeah and
0: how does it really work because you can't like look in a microscope you know what the sequence is you have small samples of the sequence or how,
2: so how what so there's uh different technologies um uh, let's like the most um the most uh common like, the one that has like a monopoly over the the market mm-hmm. right now is a company called illumina and uh, yeah. what they do is you uh, you you take the the, the genome mm-hmm. you chop it up in little pieces yeah and then you throw that into a, a flow cell, a, what? A, f- a flow cell. So it's a a, cell? like a microchip okay. that has a, a, a pattern. It's it's, if you look at, at that uh, chip on yeah. the microscope and it, it's, it's a, it's a microchip that is attached to a microfluidics device. Okay. So uh, if you look at that under the microscope, under the microscope, it's, it's like uh, like a honeycomb of like a bee honeycomb. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in each one of those wells, they have uh, a, uh, like, let's call it sticky ends. Mm. Okay. Mm. So in those sticky ends, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm yeah, really yeah, simplifying simplify this it, part. because yeah, yeah. Like, please simplify Okay. So, <laughs> so in, it, you have like these sticky ends and then these little fragments that you just put in mm. the blender, right. And then you, you take those, you stick it to one of these wells. Mm. And then by a very complex chemistry, you basically make copies. Uh, they okay. they stole all the stuff that your cells mm. use to create exact copies of the DNA, and they put it on the chip. Yeah. So in each well, you're going to make many, 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 many copies of exactly the same uh, sequence. Right. Right. And then what they do is they uh, remember this is plugged into a microfluidics device, right? Mm.
1: And what is micro?
2: So it's it, they can they can flow with extreme precision, different uh, chemicals. Mm. So they can flow... A green chemical and then red chemical and then blue chemical, right? The trick here is that the blue chemical is attached to a base mm. an a, so if you, if you throw in a blue, only the, the ACE will be attached to the DNA. Mm. So then you take a picture with the microscope and then you throw in, you wash and you throw in green, and then you take another picture with a microscope. So now all the wells that had a, a blue. And maybe some of them will have green, some of them will not have uh, green. So then you start to build the sequence. So you, you, you each one of those wells will give you, because they all have exactly the same sequence. They will all glow either green or blue or red and on each one of those bases. And, and if anybody that knows an NGS, don't kill me. I'm trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know that it's, that it's way more complicated than that. But I mean, that, that's the essence you take, uh, you, you, you fill in with one color, you take a picture, you, you, you identify each one of the wells that incorporated that color. So, you know, that the next, a uh, base in that well was, a uh, one of these a specific letter, the blue letter, and, uh, then you wash and then you put the next one and you do this 300 times. And then you get a piece that is 300. The bioinformatics part is that imagine now you have 1.5 billion little strings that are 300 base pairs Mm -hmm. long. And now you have to figure out uh, where in a 3 billion uh, base pair search space they came from. Mm -hmm. And that's where
0: the fun starts. (laughs) (laughs) The real data. That's where the data science starts, yeah. So taking a huge number of small samples of three hundred base pairs, I guess, in this case. Yeah. Or, mm, yep. And then trying to fit them together. So I guess they're overlapping as well. So you need to find where the they start and the end of each of them are in some way, or
3: it 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 can be. Like that, but mm-hmm. but for the human genome, we have like a reference that you can compare wow, each. Yeah, yeah, of course. You compare p- to the reference genome. Yeah. Uh, so you, you take like
2: these three hundred base pairs and you search over these three billion base uh, pairs, and then see. you take the next one and then you search over those three billion base pairs. Uh, of course. That one makes at a time. Perfect sense.
0: I get so much smarter, or <laughs> not not smarter, but knowledgeable. Yeah,
3: but but like for for new things like SARS-CoV-2 virus, you where you don't have a reference, you know, then then, then you do what you yeah. said, you okay. piece them together. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. cool. That's a very interesting. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, then the fun starts. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> 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 so what what you know if if you trying to dumb it down for me. Like n- now we are out of the wet lab, so to speak, and mm-hmm. now we're getting into the data. The part. data part. Yeah. yeah.
2: So then, for example, I mean, um, so what I w- what I work mm-hmm. with, uh, like my main customer is uh, they make cancer vaccines. So I I figure out uh, uh, I sequence your well, okay, let's that other uh, this uh, person uh, uh, genome, yeah. and then I, I I sequence their tumor mm. because they have cancer, right? So when you line up all these reads against the human genome, then in, 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 um, in cancer, sometimes you will have differences. So you'll see uh, sequences in the tumor that you don't have in the normal, uh, in the normal sample. And this right? is mutations. These are mutations. And uh, like Michael was saying, these mutations get translated into tRNA and then uh, they get translated into, um, in, into protein. And these, these proteins, they look weird to the immune system. The immune system has never seen one of these, so they will attack it in, in some tumors, they, they, they can't really recognize that they have troubles finding these differences. Mm. So what this company does is that they, uh, am, uh, they, they amplify these differences. So they, they sequence the normal, they sequence the tumor, they find out all the differences. And then what we do is we use AI to help them identify what, what are the best candidates to teach the immune system, how to fight off that, that cancer. Mm-hmm. And then they build a, a, a personalized vaccine for that. Uh, so that it's um, so basically you you're, you're vaccinating yourself against your own tumor. Mm-hmm. So that if the tumor ever comes up again, your immune system will just pick up and kill it just like you do with a normal flu. So, uh, that's, that's the fun part.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and used to be trying to be a little bit concrete data wise, because I think let's go nerdy here. What, What is the fundamental data manipulation problems we are working on here? Like from a, from a data pipeline point of view to, you know,
2: so first
1: you you you
2: have to go from uh, 300 gigabases 300 uh, gigabytes of data to maybe six values mm-hmm. six positions in your so it's a data reduction you have this huge search space and you have to find the six places in the genome that you can design your vaccine for Ooh. right so that's it's just a reduction 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 and trying to figure out what is going to actually cure the patient. Mm, so yeah. that's the, that, that's the data, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of, uh, the mapping, which is the first stage, then you have to do like a comparison. And this is, this is, like I said, this very, uh, noisy data set. So you have a lot of artifacts that you have to weed away because that's yeah. not going to help anybody. And so it's the, the um, distillation process of yeah. going from this huge amount of data to the the one that is going to make a difference. Yeah.
3: The data from the sequencer also has errors, mm-hmm. like uh, can be a couple of percent that are wrong. So you have to kind of try to wash that out somehow. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that.
0: I mean, awesome. <clears throat> and, and unfortunately, the time is flying away here a bit, but I'd like to cover at least um, one more uh, bioinformatics topic, which which is um, AlphaFold fold mm. what DeepMind oh, did. Yes. Right? Yeah. And we also have Alpha AlphaFold two, I guess that also mm-hmm. you know broke the record in, in in various ways. But perhaps we can start just you know what is AlphaFold, and we've spoken a bit about the three D structure already. But um, h- how can we concisely and and, and in a simple way describe what AlphaFold does?
3: Mm. Yeah, so I'll, I, I can start. You can continue. So this is about protein folding, like proteins are, are these, you know, things that make up a lot of things in the body, but they are also very important for creating drugs, for instance, or create more efficient enzymes that can do something. So it's, it's very, they're very important and proteins have this property that they fold into a certain structure. They have maybe, let's say 400 amino acids, um, but you have to figure out how they fo- will fold into 3D because the 3D structure will determine how they interact with other molecules. And I mean, it's it's key to know exactly what they look like. So the structure, structure
0: itself it contains like information that is key to how they function in some ways. Yeah. So you don't know the yeah. function until you know the 3D structure
3: yeah
2: if the structure is the function yeah okay the structure is the function i mean i mean and what we have okay. with uh, with the proteins is uh, the sequence of the proteins we know the <coughs> sequence of all the proteins hmm. uh, we just don't know how they're going to look like when they're go- when they're folded right and yeah. therefore we don't know the function of those proteins yeah mm-hmm. so
3: like yeah. since okay. the 1960s it has been understood that okay they they will fold in a certain way. I mean, there are some exceptions, but usually they have like a state that they fold to, mm. but someone calculated that if you had a protein with 100 amino acids and it just randomly explored the space, just mm. changing the different amino acids, it would take 10 to the power of 52 <laughs> years <laughs> to explore all of the conformations. So it can't be just a random thing. It, it yeah it it happens in a structured way and then yeah to make a long story short it, there have been people have been trying to solve this problem since the 1970s mm. like how how do they fold and they used molecular dynamics like trying to use physics to figure out but it doesn't really work for more than 50 70 80 uh, amino acids, um, but then AlphaFold has been like a huge quantum leap. In, yeah.
0: um, and quantum, so not in a small sense, <laughs> but a big <laughs> quantum leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. so it's it's much better than the ones. And there is some kind of challenge,
0: right, that AlphaFold competed in. Uh,
3: yeah, the kind of CASP. Yeah, the CASP, Casp challenge. Thing a critical assessment of protein structure prediction or something, yeah, it has been around since the nineties, so you can tell that it's a very well known problem mm-hmm. <laughs> that people have been trying to solve
0: yeah, and they had previous results i don't remember the name of the metric that they had, but but they, it was something around thirty or forty or a scale up to hundred or something right that they the previous approaches non deep learning based approaches were able to reach I yeah. Think,
3: uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember. The, I think the, the, the AlphaFold
0: one got up to fifty plus or something, and then the AlphaFold two got up to eighty five or something. Like absurdly,
2: it got, to, it got to a level where I mean, again, biology: yeah. one plus one equals two, yeah. th- sometimes four. You know, so it's we got to the level where. We really don't know if, if they can go any higher because yeah. the things that we're measuring against is also not perfect. I right. Mean, it has yeah. randomized or lot I of mean, noise in it. There's some noise that you're mm-hmm. going to expect. So we don't know if we can get any higher. So Didn't they
0: say basically that you know, given fold 2, the, the problem of uh, folding is solved
3: in some way? Pretty much, yeah.
0: And that's a big thing. Why is that a big thing that you know, folding proteins is, is potentially solved now?
3: Yeah, maybe salt is a is a bit of an overstatement, but but it's it's very good. Yeah, but it's for drug design, for instance. Yeah. It's, it's very very useful for pharma companies to to know like yeah, this is the shape. Then we can fit. I mean, usually, these drugs and and their targets are like a lock and key. You mm-hmm. have to fit like a, a lock to a key, and of course, it's. But I mean,
2: think mm-hmm. of, of, of think of the you have a a machine in every cell in your body that can generate an infinite amount of possibilities Mm. and you, and I can send an email to a company today and get that protein tomorrow and, and put it into a bacteria. So the, the, if, if you think of the process of of developing drugs, right, Mm. it's a 10 year process Mm. and you need to manufacture these small chemicals and, and it takes years to to do that. If, If I I can put into AlphaFold the sequence and then they will tell me it will fall like this and therefore it will have this effect, you can basically make
0: uh, a a million different drugs in a week. I see. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So basically, if you just, you know, given the sequence, you will know the 3D structure. Yeah. And in that way, you know the function of the drug. Mm -hmm. And in that way you can,
2: and, and if you know, the, 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 the shape of the, of the proteins in, in the body, then Mm. you can try to approximate how they're going to interact. That part is Um. still, it's still Mm. a a bigger problem, right? The interaction between those two things, but it, it took us like one step much closer to that,
0: but. I but see, but not, not only so given, in, given it you know the protein you want to treat in some way mm-hmm. the body and you know the structure of that and you can try to design drugs given the sequence and then you know the structure of that that should match yeah and, and this is
2: one application but i mean it has applications in in in, uh, uh, in uh, agriculture in chemical engineering in 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 production and manufacturing i mean cells can produce an infinite amount of uh, chemicals of, 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 of building blocks that you can use to make plastics, to make enzymes, to make whatever you want, but we need exactly. to understand the shape before we can design these um, these machines. But, but um,
3: maybe, uh, sorry, maybe please. another perspective is that, I mean, these companies and researchers want to determine these structures, but so far they have had to use X-ray crystallography. Yeah. And that takes time and it's expensive and so on. So if you could just get it as a prediction from a model, that's like, I mean, it takes time is an understatement. It takes (laughs) years and
2: and it's a grotesque, horrible. (laughs) uh, I mean, but it was the same thing with sequencing. Like when I started my, 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 uh, my, um, uh, uh, masters, my teacher said, like, okay, that thing that you can sequence in a day, it took me my entire PhD. (laughs) like yeah. four years yeah. to uh, working like a maniac to arrive to one single viral genome. And now you can do it in a USB stick for $50,
0: you know, so I mean, it really makes was what said. <laughs> yeah. the more slow, but in bioinformatics, you have the exponential or more slow, yeah. more or less, both the sequence in part has reduced, you know, s- to to a minuscule of the original time, mm. but so has the folding. Then I guess of that as well.
2: So, so now yeah. the folding has taken a a, a huge
1: leap but, forward. But so but, but let, let's let's take a, a a business or a macro perspective of what we are talking about here and 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 how the impact AI can have uh, on society. And I think this is still if you're not deep into these topics and if you're not truly understanding how huge this example is, right? Mm-hmm. So here we are talking about we're having we have not incrementally improved the process. No, no, we have completely reinvented it and thousand X mm. its efficiency. Yeah. And 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 here we have done it in a very, very low uh, application, you know, very down into it, a use case that you now can apply. So you can have you have thousand X efficiency around protein and uh, folding that we now can take into many different industries and different types of problems, mm-hmm. theoretically. Yeah. yeah. So, so AI now has, is this general purpose tech. And when we are starting to really understand how deep it can really reinvent the process, I, I think there's, there are still many people who are sort of stuck in, you know, working in normal businesses and you know doing AI, you no know, BI and reporting and a little bit of analytics, and still having a hard time connecting with the, with this potential. And I think these kind of examples shows that you know there will be more examples like this, and more and more and more. If I if I extend this over. The next ten years. You know when I
2: tell uh, customers when I approach them uh, with both things like BERT and uh, GPT three. Well, not GPT three, but GPT two <laughs> and uh, and uh, the other uh, the other things that that you can uh, use for free is you know there's there's this crazy company that invested millions and millions and millions of dollars to create this ridiculously good uh, tool, and they gave it for free. <laughs> And you have to to invest zero dollars to use it. You can just download, click Mm -hmm. and download, and that can, can throw your business forward 10 X. And if you don't want to use it, your competition is so. What's it going to be? <laughs> 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 Costa Rican negotiations. <laughs> Sign here. <laughs>
1: no, but but, but that, do they get it? I mean, like, do we get it? I mean, like, I, it's I'm so crazy
2: here. that it, it, because, I mean, why would a company give for free something that is so expensive and so valuable? Why did DeepMind give this for free? Yeah. Uh, you know, why did Google uh, 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 give uh, these things for free? Fair, Facebook, everybody. Yeah. Why are they throwing away these things? Uh, uh, when they could charge, I mean, remember the IBM the IBM model is they like build like a really, really fancy technology and charge a lot of money to use mm-hmm. it. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. These guys are just giving these things for free. It, it, so now we're referring insane? to the whole
1: open source topic and how how we really build AI models now exactly. with, with, with our well, but open, open source open source, open source is made by a bunch of people, not by a company.
2: Yeah, right? yeah that's I mean, true. That's but this true. is a company that spent billions of dollars in developing these things and then just... Give us it
1: away. But there's so many tangents it's crazy. here. Crazy. But we, there's so many tangents here because if I go into the enterprise, I mean like you meet these uh, as 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 clients, right? Mm. And to really make the sort of transition from business application landscape software licensing into how do we work with analytics. Well, you don't you don't build it. You use these PyTorch frameworks or, or TensorFlow frameworks and how we build how we build systems and code, it's I find it what what you've been experiencing and what you've been working on in, you know, in Spotify and stuff like that. It, it is still very very far away from the traditional enterprise business application landscape and IT CIO ex- experience. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, I think it just moves too fast. No. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah and I, I think it's also like you alluded to earlier. It's, it's often a data problem. Like they don't really have the yeah. means to get all of their data out. It's like in different places and yeah. there's one database here and one Excel sheet here yeah. and so on.
0: But it's exciting to see simply that AI can help with problems that traditionally you thought you had to have like a lot of manual, you know, hardcore scientists to solve and suddenly you can take like a data approach to solve something in a different way. Uh, are you excited about, you know, AI for science in the future do you think ai can help with other like scientific problems that we have like climate change or energy production or whatnot do you see the deep mind thing for controlling a fusion
3: reactor by the way Uh, no i haven't actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but definitely um, definitely there is there is potential Mm. for for all of that and for science and I mean, even, even in biology, there's things like, you know, CRISPR, you can, you know, the, the CRISPR technology, you can change uh, maybe plant sequences and, and, uh, improve crop yields and, and things like this. I don't know. Maybe you have m- more, um, ideas about the climate. climate I mean, part. imagine
2: building like, let's solve climate change. Mm. Let's build a, a bacteria that produces hydrogen, which already exists in in nature, right? Mm. Uh, let's have a bacteria that eats plastic and, uh, and produces uh, uh, hydrogen. Yeah. That exists. that that is, that is there. It just it it, it doesn't it doesn't produce enough. But if we can fold enough uh, and if we can put enough CPU process, maybe we can come out with a, with a proper, the bacteria that farts hydrogen every, every three <laughs> seconds, right? Instead of cows farting methane. 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 <laughs> right. But I mean, that's what but the, 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 this is crazy. What life can do. Uh-huh. And now we have the, the code we used to have the code, but now we know how that code is going to look like once it comes out of the business end. Uh-huh. So. I think that that uh, huge potential, huge potential for manuf. I mean, I think that, uh, people are focused a lot in, in health because I mean, that's the traditional money maker of biology, yeah. but the applications in, in manufacturing yeah. uh, and new materials, I mean, some of the strongest, uh, materials known to man are made by bacteria and and animals, right. But is so. there a
1: combination of biology and AI together here? Because it's, it's this data dimension in this that is also needed now in order to design this or uh, because I see that as part of it, that's truly accelerating this now because we have, we've been experimenting with all this, but now when we can do like the, the sequencing of protein and, and all this stuff, mm. is the data part together with how we want to use biology? Uh, Isn't it very exciting?
2: It's very exciting, but I mean, none of this would matter if you didn't have, uh, it's, it's a, it's a trifecta, right? It's we now now have limitless computer computing. I mean compute limitless cloud computing that I cannot under stress. Like nothing that we're talking about here works if you don't don't have. have GPUs, right? And so, so first you need. Okay, we need to get rid of all the Bitcoin miners that are taking over the, our <laughs> GPUs for God's sake, stop doing that. But I mean, if we can put those billions of dollars in GPUs to proper use, we could maybe end climate change because now we have, we have the sequence, we have the folding and we have the AI to put all, all this together. So yeah, I mean, that's
0: such an
1: awesome thought.
0: Let's move now. You know, given the the time as well, to to some more societal, philosophical kind of topics. I, I would argue, and but still, let's try to keep a bit into the bio, bio, biological kind of kind of topic. So, uh, how about this question? Um, how would you compare, or what are the main differences between an artificial neural network and a biological neural network? And Mm. And I would let you to, to think a bit about that. And I can start a bit by giving a couple of my own like thinkings here. And mm-hmm. then you as experts of the bio, biology Shooking area
4: <laughs> can
0: can disagree or you know add to that. But obviously one ob- obvious difference is uh, generality and, and, you know, deep neural networks today is very narrow and they can, you know, work on, on very narrow specific tasks, but it's getting better and getting more and more multitask kind of models uh, including gpt3 and whatnot another is high level reasoning then potentially you know today it's very like perception based you know trying to take an image or a text or something and get some kind of representation on that but to have this kind of high level reasoning is not something that we have nice tools to do potentially you could disagree and say that Tesla and, and the autopilot and the full-step driving, you know, have both the perception, but also some kind of reasoning on top of it to make some kind of action in how to operate in the world. So there are some stuff, but since in general, I would argue that the high-level reasoning is not really there yet. And a reason for that, I would also argue, is the the, the statelessness, so to speak, of Deep learning networks. You basically feed forward some kind of data through it and you get some prediction, but it doesn't change a state. You don't have a world model that continuously is operating. But there are exceptions. Reinforcement learning, of course, is one. Tesla once again, how they you know, change the state that you have. But in general, there is a big difference, I would argue, that the that the brain is is very much both a state and a compute. And that is also my, okay, perhaps final, final, I can continue, but (laughs) another final point potentially is the difference in how you train neural networks today, which is very batch oriented. So you send a lot of data through it and then at some point you say, okay, now I'm going to deploy it and and you use inference, but during inference time, you don't change the model uh, at that same time. But there are stuff like neuromorphic computing and whatnot that is potentially going to change that as well. Okay. So these are just some initial thoughts, you know, but given that, what do you think the main differences between the human brain and current
3: AI systems are?
0: Anyone want to say? Yeah.
3: I mean, yeah, I I can, I can start. I mean, those are very good points. also, the brains are more plastic. Yes, like, that's actually my fifth point <laughs> that I didn't. <laughs> put it, but what is I'm plastic? So, I'm so happy you yeah, so, mentioned that. So they can they can grow new connections or like old connections die out. Like most prominently at, at the beginning of your life, when, when you're a baby, you have like yeah. yeah, you you have connections everywhere, and then they sort of get get pruned out.
0: That's also, I mean, it's actually my fit pointer. You can see this, but, but I, I think,
1: you know, I know I, I, you put it in now, <laughs> no,
0: I, but anyway, you know, you have to manually program the architecture yeah. of today's AI system. And that's a big problem. The yeah. brain doesn't work like that. It's not only like genetically programmed. It actually is learning that through experience, how the connections in the brain works,
3: right? And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, the thing that you said before is, is very important with this online mm. thing, like w- we are always taking in input. There is no like, uh, uh, like mm-hmm. supervised learning in that way. I mean, maybe in some cases, but it's not like here is the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's We just take in this stream of input and, and make sense of it somehow. Mm. And then... Um, uh, I mean it's interesting to think about back propagation like as, as far as we know so neural networks are trained with this back propagation right? artificial, yeah. yeah, yeah, artificial neural networks. yeah <laughs> artificial neural network back propagation of error or, but it's not really I mean there are theories that something like that could be happening in the brain but it's not something that we know that mm. it exists and it's
0: But how does the neuron work then? I mean, in some case you have some connections through other neurons, you have the dendrites and some kind of synapses as well, and they get some input to a neuron. And and when that input goes above a certain threshold, some kind of action potential is happening, right? Yeah. And that can cause the change of the state of the neuron in some way. Or or how would you describe how a biological neuron
3: works? yeah so as you said um, a biological neuron receives a lot of inputs to their dendrites and each input uh, and, uh, yeah these inputs are action potentials from other neurons mm. and then they they change the voltage a little bit and uh, there's also like uh, uh, some other things like uh, calcium concentrations and stuff like that but When the voltage reaches a a certain threshold, you get like an event, which is called an action potential where the voltage goes up from like minus 80 millivolts to plus 50 Mm millivolts. And then that gets sent out through the axon, which is like the, the big fat thing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) communicates with, with other neurons. So it's usually referred to as like an all or none event. Like a kind of a it's like a transistor
0: thing. in some way, but a yeah. bit more analog, I guess. But still, it it has some kind of either on or off kind of state, right?
2: Yeah. Or, but, or, and and I would say that that's for me that's the difference because I don't think it's entirely. Uh, so one thing that bothers me about the the. Um, the, the, most of the architectures in, 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 uh, in neural networks is the plane thing you have layers, mm. brain doesn't have layers. No. It's uh, a, it's a continuity of, of processing. Right. And uh, the other thing that you'd never take into account is that, I mean, uh, so the, the signal, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Michael, but the signal from one neuron to the other, is really slow. This is not the speed of light. No. This is not a, an electric voltage thing. You don't have like it's current. Kilo, kilohertz
0: or something. Instead it's, of-
2: it's really slow. So if you have a very long uh, neuron, because there's long nerves, that signal is going to take longer and going to affect to things at a different time than the ones that are closer. So, so d- dynamics in the body. That dynamics brain is, is never captured yeah. in, in neural networks. Yeah. There is no yeah. way to put delays between layers. Yeah. And well, I mean, first the layer type of thing that is like everybody in the same layer gets corrected at the same time. That's not how the brain works. It's way more complicated yeah. and you have modules. And like I said, it, it has like different parts of the brain are, are, have a very different architecture. And if you think about it, I mean, all the brains are pretty much the same. Somehow they developed into the same way. That's not by uh, the fact that you have the visual cortex and different uh, centers in the same places. It's not a random choice. I mean, not uh, everybody has the, these centers in the same place and they usually have that same kind of uh, connectivity. And I think that that's by design. Mm. That's, that's why we develop these things. It, it, that's a weird thing about biology that 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 we never uh, understand that, that the shape is the function that's what defines right, the function right. oh, yeah. and i think that that is missing from the neural networks is is uh, uh, is these these sections and it's another I, T-shirt, by the way. Shape is yes. a function. Cool because I mean, I, I'm thinking like uh, the other day I was looking at this thing that the Mystic chips, that these uh, analog neural network mm. chips, right? Okay. Uh, and uh, and I was thinking, yeah, I mean, maybe this whole thing about general AI and this never-ending search for the quadrillion-parameter GPT model or whatever. Maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. Maybe, I mean, you can't go to the moon on a steam engine, mm. so maybe we have the wrong, uh, we, we, I mean, they're wrong good architecture, yeah, the poor architecture. Maybe, yeah, you can do You can predict what is a cat and what is a dog, but maybe we can't deliver a general AI on, on this binary approximation, uh, of, of neural net of, of what the brain does. Do you believe in
0: in neuromorphic computing, if you heard about that field? Yeah, I mean, not for a while, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the short term, it is trying to, instead of having the von Neumann architecture that Mm -hmm. computers of today have had for the last 70 years, you know, Mm -hmm. with the CPU in one place and the memory in the other, and the memory can't really do any compute, it can only handle its state, and the, the CPU can't handle state, only compute. Mm-hmm. And then you have to transfer the data back and forth all the time to do both compute and, and memory. Um, but the neuromorphic I- is really trying to do what the brain is doing. You have mm-hmm. a, in a single neuron, so to speak, both the compute and the state. Mm-hmm. And Perhaps that's one move forward. It's called memristors, this kind of, you know. Didn't
2: IBM were trying to create artificial neurons?
0: Yeah, I think a so. chip that yeah. goes in a
2: chip. I wonder what
0: that Yeah, part, IBM
2: um, research. Maybe because these mystic guys they were doing the, the these chips that uh, that were analog compute. I mean mm. it's analog computing. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I mean I think neuromorphic is a bit analog as well. Mm-hmm. So. anyway, um let's try to have okay, one final question then. Um, when, sorry for this question, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what's going to be. When do we have AGI? <laughs> how do we know? How do you know we don't have
1: it now? <laughs> oh, what is AGI? What do you think is making all the
0: anti-vaxxers?
4: Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, <that's
0: it. laughs> <a> good one. <laughs> uh, but okay, do you believe in you know? Kurzweil says, like in, uh, in 2029, 20, he believes that will be a point. Others say. Like uh, Michio Kaka who says, like hundred years from now, a lot of people in the middle. Um, you have any sense you know, of of time scale?
3: The ten years, hundred or years, was, and not twenty twenty nine. I don't think. But when?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think it also go back goes back to the definition of AGI then, because I I, I asked someone asked me that question and defining the singularity and. There are some sharp definitions of it, but I, I have a hard time understanding it. So I think, even when I'm talking to you, we say, oh, human-like intelligence." No, oh, I hate, that. Oh, don't hate that. that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. I <laughs> said. No, no, no. I was like, someone said that. Ah, then you get the second rant from it. But <laughs> I mean, there are so many levels before
2: AGI that we have to survive. Yeah. I mean, yes. we, we we need to survive the the uh, the uh, the robot that can fold <laughs> that can make exactly. a T-shirt. We need to survive the robot that can drive a car.
0: That, I mean, <laughs> I mean that is a very good point. And you know, narrow I'm this, and narrow AI. Exactly. Is more I'm more afraid about narrow age uh, AI Going you know, using, for example, in these times, you know, for drones or missiles that you know go rogue in some way and they're completely autonomous and they have no sense of. Ah, okay, we we shouldn't go here too long, but I think you know. <laughs> no, but I was is, talking about the AI that uh,
2: basically will destroy millions of jobs. And uh, in, in, in manufacturing, in uh, transportation. I mean, that's, that technology exists today. It's just that it's still cheaper to hire somebody to do those jobs mm. than to make a robot that makes them. But I mean, Tesla is about to really destroy uh, if you look at the number of people that live from driving a taxi or yeah. transporting goods yep. yeah, yeah. Mm. now we it's need like to survive that first universe, before so. the the i don't think the general ai will have anything left
1: to destroy <laughs> <laughs> you think the the, the ripples on the economy on the economy is good. will am and but
3: you I'm can, still
0: uh, an
1: optimist here i think you know
0: it maybe a it creates positive. new
1: jobs and all this
0: and perhaps provide. we don't need to work as much as well in the future mm. Mm. still
3: right yeah, yeah, we were still in this basic um, income in some way. Still in this forty-hour work week, even yeah. though what was it was Bertrand Russell or someone exactly. said we would work fifteen hours a week.
2: I mean, the, the the Indians in Costa Rica used to work two hours a day to pick up fruit and stuff. And that's all. <laughs> the rest of the day, they would just randomly pick things from the forest and try to get high on them. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't see progress.
0: <laughs> Back to basics. Back to
2: basics. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah
0: are you optimistic or, neg- or more pessimistic about like 10 plus years ahead that we will have a better society or worse society when it comes to you know technological you know advances
3: well when it comes to technological I advances like i'm maybe yeah. optimistic but i think there are many other things where i'm not so optimistic. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah but do yeah. you think
0: ai will be used more for good than for bad <laughs>
2: Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can say that uh, nuclear uh, technologies were used. I mean, that can really be bad. Yeah. And so far, up to today, it has, a, right. it has been used mostly for... I mean, most of the uranium that has been yeah. produced has been to power. And, so, and, and, so we and, were
0: able to control that I mean, potential right. danger. That
2: I don't know if you know, but move. most of the energy from nuclear plants comes from decommissioned missile bombs.
0: Really? Yeah, I,
2: they, they, I so. mean, they, they, they're using the, the bombs to, the, there's a ton of bombs that go out of, uh, the, they're obsolete, and mm-hmm. they use the uranium from those bombs to power homes. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, if, if we didn't use that to destroy ourselves, yeah, maybe maybe we won't use AI for <laughs> destroying right. anybody.
3: I, I shared this paper yesterday. Did, did you read it about the toxicity prediction? Oh, yeah. yeah, there was this uh, pharmaceutical company that released a tool where you could, you know, make a molecule less toxic with their AI model. Uh-huh. But then they realized that oh, oh, damn! Like you can also use it to make it more toxic. <laughs> <laughs> so then they tried to like oh let's try to make it more toxic. And then they ended up with some like real poisons that that already exist and some new novel poisons that yeah. might be even worse. <laughs>
0: I mean, AI is a GPT. It's, it's really a general purpose technology that can be used for, for both good and bad. So that's that's yeah, the but, sad truth. Well, right. I I've, I think that
2: 99.99% of all humans are decent human beings yes. that are trying to do good. It's the 0.01% that we need to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs>
4: exactly.
0: That's that's
2: the one that, that's why we can't have nice things, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but
0: Well said. 99%. Is, are good people mm-hmm. and uh, they, they want the best for everyone I think we should uh, end here or do you have any ideas?
1: I think uh, we are probably running a little bit on overtime <laughs> yes. so uh, our producer is, uh, speaking, Bro- is uh, rolling his fingers <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Michael
0: what's next in your life? What's happening professionally, privately uh, <laughs> coming weeks, months <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, No, my, my current plan is just to to continue, <laughs> I, I don't have any any um, uh, special plans. Just see see where this goes. See how much we can grow the company and um, and, and potentially spin out some fun Oof. products, maybe. <laughs> mm. know, and buy the Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> now let me
0: tell you about NFTs. No,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> after <laughs> after work we can Afterwards. just <laughs> Alex, what's happening in your life? Do you have any upcoming uh, interesting things going on? Well,
2: there? I'm going to learn Swedish this year. <laughs> ah, <laughs>
0: you said that for 20 years, right? I yeah, don't I, I, uh, no, no, 14, 14,
1: But the joke was uh, when you're not having so busy with projects, <laughs> yeah, you will time. learn Swedish. Whenever we have a downtime, then I'll be, I'll, I'll no downtime, no downtime. No
2: this year uh, I'm I'm a big uh, a fan of uh, the electric car revolution that's another thing we have yeah, to, that to we should we should speak about yeah, that soon after after work uh, yeah. these guys they are tired of me talking about, you know <laughs> like chinese battery stocks and uh, this type of thing but um, yeah so I'm looking forward to learning swedish getting my driver license and maybe buying a car
1: what, and do need then a, a driving license you can just
0: drive you know with autopilot <laughs>
1: No, that's a little bit, but it's at the point you getting a license to get a car, to get an electrical car, it, just to get an electrical car. Yeah. So you never cared about this before, but now No, I didn't,
2: mean, I, I, I mean, I, so I used to spend an, an hour and a half to drive 12 kilometers oh. to go to my office yeah. and an hour and a half to go back to my house, 12 okay. kilometers every day for 12 years in. In Costa Rica, yeah, traffic, Russia, traffic right? is just horrible. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so when I came to Sweden, I said like, I'm never going to have a car again, but I've never driven an electric car and uh, they seem fun. So yeah, I don't it's know. I, it's it's, it, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the whole, uh, getting rid of, uh, gasoline cars that, yeah, I want, I want to buy
1: one. Yeah. Support the cause. Yeah. We part of the cause, but yeah, because yeah, of this yeah, movement. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Nice.
0: Michael, anyone that you would recommend to have on this podcast, someone that you would like to listen to uh, when we interrogate them?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have a couple. I mean, if if you want even more biology, uh, you should interview uh, Emma Lundberg from uh, KTH Sci-Life Lab, who has done some really cool work on like... uh, caglifying research and also turning it into oh, cool. into games like uh, o- uh, online games um, if you want to i mean i don't know exactly who you've had in the past but oh, you, you could also invite um, rebecca rydor lötman who is a, a good investor in this space who has Invested in a couple of interesting companies in both AI and um, and biology, mm. or um, maybe Oscar Techstrom who was involved in in some of the first research on attention. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, Google Research. Swedish on, one Yeah. Huh? S- lives in Stockholm. Has some suggestions? Yeah, that sounds <laughs>
0: awesome. That is awesome suggestion. <laughs> Alex, cool. do you have yeah. any ideas?
2: Ah. I'm not as well connected as Michael, <laughs> unfortunately. So I don't know how good uh, leads I can I, I can provide. But I would strongly. I, I feel like there's a couple of Teslas in the uh, biotech in, in the in the bio world uh, right now. So really, uh, yes, people that are going to take this Alpha Fold and and build one of these, uh, world changing devices. Yeah. And, uh, I wish you find one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So many topics that we thought we would go, uh, go to cover, but we spoke about completely other stuff, but we still have an after, after work to, to continue yeah. exploring so those good. topics. Nick so and uh, Alex, it's been a true pleasure to have you here and, uh, let's now Thank continue you. for the after, after work. And I wish you the best in your future career. Thank you. Well, thank
4: you.